This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Dom Harvey Podcast, brought to you by Radix Nutrition. Coming up, Dr. Ben O'Keefe, rugby referee. You're a South Island ref, mm. go back to primary school, all that kind of stuff, like you get that normally, like you suck, that's fine. But like, there was the physical... People talking about king hitting you in the street like and stuff like, like that. Like yeah, sl- slitting your throat, like if I find you... Dr. Ben O'Keefe is one of the world's best rugby referees. He is also a doctor who specialises in ophthalmology. Ophthalmology, and I can confirm that is the first time in my life I've ever heard, seen, or used that word. Ophthalmology basically means eye stuff. Dr. Ben made headlines for the death threats and social media backlash he experienced after he refed the Super Rugby final this year between the Crusaders and the Chiefs. And at the time of releasing this podcast, he is busy representing New Zealand as an official referee at the Rugby World Cup in France with a massive game coming up, South Africa versus Ireland. It's going to be a good one. In this conversation, we explore Ben's journey from general medicine to ophthalmology, there's that word again, his passion for rugby, and how he manages to balance and fit in both these demanding careers. I invited Ben on the podcast after he blew up on Instagram by sharing some of the actually disgusting comments he got after that Super Rugby final. Also, he's just an inspiring New Zealander who is kicking serious ass and life goals and probably doesn't get the recognition he deserves. Thanks very much to Radix Nutrition for sponsoring this episode. If you have not done so already, you can check out their incredible nutritional products online at radixnutrition.co.nz. Radix is spelled R-A-D-I-X. These guys are doing phenomenal stuff from their factory in the Waikato and they have big plans of world domination and it's an absolute honour to be on their team. All right, let's get into it. Rugby referee, Dr. Ben O'Keefe on the Dom Harvey podcast. Enjoy. Hey Dom, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, mate. I'm doing So good to have you over. I really appreciate this. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, mate, um, be. Yeah, happy to have a, have a, have a good yarn. Yeah, f- first of all, um, you're like an eye, an, an eye doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because uh, everyone makes spec savers jokes, and there's spec savers on a lot of the shirts that you're in, but you are actually an eye doctor. When when the spec saver sponsorship <laughs> came through, I thought like this is ironic, and I think you know actually it's really good for them to be able to do that for referees because everyone you know you talk about loving and loathing. Like there's a lot of loathing, and there's a lot of you know eye test sort of questions coming at us. But yeah, I can actually test those people's vision for them, and um, <laughs> I often have that joke when people yell it. You know that I need to sort of get my vision checked as well. I'll do the same thing, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort but, of something the, I do. The, the jokes just sort of write themselves, really, don't they? They do. So you're a bit of a better around for all that kind of stuff, and especially when you're wearing spec savers the whole time <laughs> in the big green. You know, so it's great. It's great sponsorship for them, mm. and you know, they're, they're good sponsors for us. What is your job exactly? So you're um, you're you're a qualified doctor, and then did you specialise in? Optical stuff. Yeah, so about, um, I mean, it must be about ten years. So I, you know, went to went to med school after uni- after after school, went to university, got through into med school. You do your six years, and then after that, you do postgraduate 
you know, two years trying a bit of everything. And, and, and for me, I realised really quickly that I didn't really like actual medicine. I liked surgery. I liked the fixing things. So you, in the two years, they tell you exactly what you have to do. So you do a bit of general medicine. Um, you do a bit of general practice. You do a little bit of surgery, gen surge. And then you can start sort of subspecialising into fields that you want to do afterwards because at med school, you learn everything theoretically, but you actually don't know the job until you actually get mm. into the job, right? So when you're working in the hospital, when you're on the wards, when you're doing the late nights, when you're on call at three in the morning, you, know, you have emergency calls, you're in theatre, you're operating, so all of that kind of stuff, you see the job. So I, I, I realised early that I like I liked being really good at something and being able to fix something. So if you came in with a, um, a damaged tendon or a broken bone, we fixed it, and then we saw you next week. And if you had another issue, well, we'd, we'd, see, we'd send you to another specialist, and that's what I liked. So mm. I started moving down that pathway of um, you know surgery, general surgery, did a bit of orthopedics, then did plastics. And I did plastic surgery for like a year as a, as a house officer and a registrar. So you have these levels, so you're like you know the junior doctor and then a registrar and then you're a consultant. So I did plastics for a long time, but then I, I figured that I, I really liked – well, there was, there was one side of like the surgical specialties is that you know the, the consultants are just so, so busy. And so they're always coming in on call. And I remember one, one morning, um, 8 a.m., we did our ward round in the plastics ward, and the surgeon who was about – he was probably about 65 then, you know, so he's, he's a really you know, well-respected and amazing surgeon. He was coming to do his clinic, but he'd been up all night because he'd been in a big car accident, so he was operating all night. And I remember seeing that and he was just, he was shattered and, you know, he was having to go into a, do a clinic and then operate again that afternoon. And while I love that, like I wanted to do that when I was younger, I think I was getting to an age where I wanted, you know, you're starting to think about, you know, how you are getting older and what you want to do for your life and stuff. So I, I started thinking I love these specialties and I, I sort of came across ophthalmology, which is, which is eye medicine, and realised that it's the best of both worlds. You do a bit of medicine, you do some amazing surgeries, you know, like being able to um, do a cataract operation, you can fix someone's eyesight, um, they can, you know, see again, you know, pretty well straight after. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people take their vision for granted. And, and genuinely, um, you know, as a registrar, you are really, really busy. Um, and, you know, a lot of things you can sort of manage, you know, as a consultant, you're not having to come in probably as much as, as those big surgical, you know, plastics bosses and the, and the orthopedic bosses. So, um, yeah, I sort of just fell into that because you, in, in six years of med school, you only do about one week of ophthalmology. And I've been on the other side as, as a registrar where I have those students with me for the week. And I feel really bad because you're on the, the thing about ophthalmology is that you are working on a microscope um, looking into someone's eye. And so you've got a poor student here that you're trying to teach, but they can't see what you're doing. Because they actually can't see in the microscope. It's not like you're in a theatre um, or you're operating and say, like, hold hold this back, hold that, look at that, this is this. Um, I'm basically trying to tell them something that, you know, they, they're having to try and imagine. Can you not project it onto a big screen or <laughs> well, something? Well, you can. Like, there's, right. there's definitely, like, there's, there's obviously technology like that. But, um, you know, when we're in our small little clinic in the emergency department, okay. you can't do that. So I always feel sorry for them. I'm always like, look, if you don't, if you need to go, you need to go to the library, do some extra work, you can go. And, you know, because I felt like that's what I was like when I was a student. Yeah, right. So that, and that's what you did. So it was in that one week. So I didn't really know until I started studying. And I did a little um, diploma in it to see, like, yeah, I like this theory. Let's actually get the job. And um, so I worked full-time as a, as a house officer and a registrar in ophthalmology um, and did that for a few years and have still be, been doing that since um, I then um, came to a crossroads and, and did my rugby and um, sort of went the other direction for mm. a while. Yeah, you must be super smart. Is that, med school's ridiculously difficult, isn't it? Don't, don't they, like, slash from year one to year two is it, is a big class cut. size and a half? Yeah, there's a big cut. Um, I'm definitely not super smart. Like I, I feel like I've got a good work ethic. I think that's what gets me through everything, you know. Um, so you know, worked my butt off the first year, put all my eggs into a basket, went to the the non-drinking hall, you know, all that kind of stuff. When, <laughs> and I love a good drink, and so that was really hard, but it all worked in my favour, right? So um, it's it's 
I think after like six, so I think out of maybe 3,000 people that go into health sciences, you know, 250 get into medicine, 200 get into dentistry, physio, BMedSci, all that kind of stuff. So it is competitive um, and there's a bit of a cull after six months, you know, like the chemistry paper and then, you know, we've got the other one um, at the end of the year, like all the other papers that you have to do. So like thinking back then as well, you know, you're so young when you have to make that decision. Um, yeah, straight out of school, straight, right? Yeah, straight yeah. out of school. You know, like there's obviously different systems overseas when they have America, they, you know, you have to get into medicine postgraduate. And I feel like that's quite good because you actually grow up a little bit and decide, you know, what you want to do and you sort of have got your life sort of sorted rather than just, you know, university mm. as an 18-year-old. So, um, yeah, it's super, it's super hard, super competitive, but, um, you know, really, you know, things that you get to do and, um, you know, the, what you get to, I guess, contribute to, you know, society and everything. It's got a lot of meaning, and, and that's what I've always loved about it. And, and fortunately for me, because that's always been my career, when I've done this rugby, it's, I've been able to keep the rugby as a passion, and I think that's helped as well. Yeah, that was, I suppose, going to be my next uh, question. Like, how, how, do you, how do you balance both? Um, you know, being a professional rugby... Like, when I first messaged you, it was after the um, Super Rugby Final, Chiefs Crusaders, um, which you ruined, apparently. One of the million messages. <laughs> I saw your message. I was like, oh, this is a nice one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this message. <laughs> we'll get into that. But I, I messaged you, like, the week after that, and you were over in, I think, South Africa or somewhere. So you can't be doing a lot of medicine these days. No, has, me- so, has medicine sort of taken a back burner? Yeah, it was about – so I've been professional as a referee for, I think, seven or eight years now. Like, it's mm. pretty scary. It goes it goes pretty fast. And how I started referring was just at university. I, I, I played rugby like you know a lot of Kiwis. I wanted to be an all-black like a lot of Kiwis playing rugby. Yeah. And um, went to university and just realised that everyone was so serious about becoming an all-black. I just didn't want to do that. Mm. And I think you know, p- people's skills started catching up to my skill, which wasn't great anyway. Um, so my dad refereed um, when I was younger, and he said, look, you should give refereeing a go, you know, and if, if it's just to stay in the game, that's great, um, but it's also something that's going to um, balance your books, balance your studying, it's going to get you out of the out of the halls, out of the hostels, out of the, um, the lecture theatres, and, you know, you're going to love it. And so I really just did it as a weekend thing to... And what's it, like, 18, 19, 20? So I was 19, okay. and, you know, my first game I remember turning up, I didn't have... I didn't. I had a whistle, but I didn't have a watch. I had to buy the coach's watch, and it was like it was a game that was directly <laughs> across the, from me where I was living. I was sort of looking over at this field, being like, "Why don't they have a referee?" And then I opened my laptop because back then I think we had like those like Sony Ericsson phones. You know, you didn't get emails on them. You know, they were, they were actually emailed me on the Monday saying that I was meant to referee that game, so yeah. I didn't really get that until about half an hour before. So I quickly ran over there and and did my very first game. And yeah, so it was just an outlet for me for mm. for so long. And like players, you you referee club rugby, and then they think you do a good job, so you start referring um, senior club rugby, then you referee regional, and you start referring like South Island, and then you know you get to a point where they select you for the Heartland competition, which is sort of the regional competition, yeah. and NBC Super and, and International. So I got to a point where I was doing this all through my medicine, um, did it as I was working as a doctor as well. So you know I'd finish my my clinics on a Friday, I referee club rugby on a Saturday, and it was easy because that's that's where I lived. But then it got to a point where I was doing NPC and Super Rugby, where again it was fine because um, I'd finished my clinics on a Friday. Um, if, if I was on call that weekend, I'd, I'd have to say I'm unavailable for, for rugby. Um, but then I'd fly to my game, do my game Saturday, fly back Sunday, back to work Monday. And so this was like my life for a few years, where Monday to Friday, pretty demanding job in, in medicine, um, but was my outlet for rugby. And then Friday to Saturday, Sunday, I'd be travelling for rugby, which was almost my outlet to medicine, but I, I kept doing that. And then the more games I did in Super Rugby, I started going to Australia, and I started getting games every weekend. And then you know the, the demand of the game is you got to do a lot of preparation. So 
Um, while I'd prepare for my games before my clinics, after my clinics, I'd have to train at like midnight some nights, you know, because that was the only time that I finished because mm. I needed to be ready for this job on the weekend. It got to a point where I remember this one clinic that I was doing and I kept looking at the time because I had to fly out at 7pm. <laughs> I'd fly at 7pm. Normally, you know, your clinic should finish at 5. Yeah. And you sort of manage it on a Friday so that it should finish by then, but if something comes in, you can't leave. Mm. Um, you know, someone that someone starts on call at five, but you can't just go clock off five. Mm. You're done. Yeah, you know, you got to finish from, what you're doing. Yeah, from the patient's perspective, the last thing you want is a doctor that's in a hurry. <laughs> I've checked one eye, and, but that's the thing. And that this was this, I was in a hurry, mm. and I started realizing that. And and that that was the problem in this situation. I was looking at time. Stuff started building up. Um, it got to five o'clock. It got to six o'clock. It got to seven. I realized that you know I'd missed the flight. I don't think I in, in the moment like I think I was I was still very good at what I was doing in that moment, but I was um, I was vulnerable, um, I was fragile about like being rushed, and and I remember after that weekend I got I, I finally booked my flight, got to Auckland, did my game, came back Sunday, and then on that Monday like um, during a break I just I was like this is this is tough now, um, but fortunately it was the same time um, a few weeks later New Zealand Rugby sort of offered me this full time contract. And I had, I had a mentor of mine who was another doctor, Jonathan White. He's a cardiologist up here in Auckland, interventional cardiologist, incredible, incredible human being. And he'd never actually seen me referee, but he you know, took me under his wing. And he was like, he, he showed that there could be a doctor that could also referee rugby and it to a high level. He refereed to super rugby. But he, when he got to the same point that I got to, he chose to do medicine. And so he gave up on rugby. And he would have he refereed many World Cups. He would have yeah. been our best ever referee for a long time. So talking with him and, and seeing him do that I actually decided to go the other way and I thought look I'm going to sign this contract for a year um, I'm going to do rugby see how long it goes for and because I'll always have a regret if I don't and, and all the consultants that I talked to in medicine they said look medicine's going to be here Give it, give it a go. And it's, it's not, not a bad career to fall back on. <laughs> oh no, it, it, it works. It works out super well, and and and, and that's why, like, I, I had to give it a go. Give it, and I remember being so nervous talking to my head of department around it. I, I probably walked past her door for about two weeks, being like, "Look, I'm gonna, I want to try and do this. I want, I've got this contract. What do you think I did?" And I finally built up the courage to walk in, sit down, and she was super supportive of everything. She said the same things, like, "Look, we'll be here at the end. We can, we can, we can do." Um, we can support you as you're going through. We'll make it work. We actually need extra doctors anyway. Um, and so I think without having probably her being so supportive as well, I wouldn't be here I am now. So so back to your original question, like, like how much do I do? Um, it's great. I'm so It's so flexible. So I would probably work maybe maybe one to two days a week when I'm in New Zealand. But the benefit is is that I'm not actually – I don't have a clinic under Dr. O'Keefe. You know, it's not under my under my name so that if I wasn't there, all those patients would just be lost or they wouldn't be able to right. – they'd be lost to follow up. What I do is that when I'm available and free, I actually I – will, I will go in and instead of there being two eye doctors working um, the clinic that goes from nine to five, which is super, super busy. I think there's a, there's a thing in medicine, like everyone thinks that the eye doctor's upstairs, they're just sitting there drinking coffee. But I'm telling everyone now, like it is super, super busy, which is, which is cool. Um, so instead of the two doctors, they have three. So out of maybe the 40 patients that the, the two of the doctors have to see in that day, and plus all the extras that come on board, I'll see 10 or 15 of them. So it helps everyone. It keeps me engaged in the game. And it also means that when I, when I need to leave, so like last week yeah, when you were contacting me, I was in South Africa and I was in France, I can just go and, and I don't have clinics that I need to rearrange. And, and when I come back home, um, I can get back into it. So during the year, during the rugby season, yeah, one to two days a week, um, 
and then between probably November and January, it's it's almost almost full time, like four or five days a week. And you know, I, I train some of the other doctors and I learn from them. And um, you know, it's a really really cool time of year because I can sort of get back into to what I really love doing. So you mentioned before that first contract from the New Zealand Rugby Union, like a, a one-year contract. So you, you so you grind away for years and years doing the Heartland stuff and before that club stuff. And like in the early days of your riffing, you were just doing it with the knowledge that you had from being a former player yourself. So I'm guessing you don't know the intricacies of the law. No, and I, I would yeah. say like being a former player, I wouldn't even class myself as a former player. I, was, I knew I, I knew how to catch a ball and pass it, and, right? You know, right. Run into a gap, <laughs> but I was a back. You know, I was this. I was this, sort of this height when I was younger, and I never went into the forwards. I'm kind of gutted. I never went into the forwards, so I never hit a ruck. I was never in a scrum. Um, so my sort of game knowledge, I had to really learn quickly. You know, and that's why you get a lot of ex players who become like ex professional players who become referees, and they immediately go to the top level because they have that game understanding. So. Um, I guess I, I've come through a traditional refereeing pathway where you just have to learn the technicalities mm. and you know you learn that at a low age and you hope that you do it all at a young age so that when you are doing the TV games, like you've learned, you made all your mistakes and so you don't have those sort of those train smashes on the big stage, you sort of do it at club rugby and that's what I always, I try and tell young referees is, you know, they're, they're so, and this is like me, you know, you're hungry to, to want to keep going and keep driving and keep being passionate about progressing but you also want to do your time Mm. Um, you want to make sure that you're learning um, at those lower levels, tucked away where no one's watching. Um, you're learning off other referees, off players, watching your games, so that when you do, you know, you know hit NBC, you do hit Super Rugby, you know, you can hit the ground running. Um, but yeah, that's just you, you just learnt it, and you know, I'm still learning. Like you learn every year. Well, the rules just don't change, but you know, you get better. Um, there's new developments, foul play. Mm. Um, how you deal in every moment because every little tackle, every bit of foul play, every little rock, every scrum is slightly different to yeah. what you've ever had before. Yeah. So you've got to be adaptable and you've got to keep working yeah. on your mental skills and all that kind of stuff to be able to do it. So that's cool. Yeah, you mentioned um, just a second ago that you're still learning. Um, there's going to be people in the Waikato listening to this that no. Well, no, they know. Like, like, oh, yeah, you haven't, know, you haven't learned. You haven't learned. That's what they're going to say. But I think it was just yeah. like it. it was like all of New Zealand, apart from people in the South Island around Canterbury. So, <laughs> <laughs> like as I said at the beginning of this thing, like refing's not something I ever thought about. Like you, you watch the game, the ref makes some some bad calls or whatever, and you know you, you get annoyed and then you just move on with it. But it's like since prepping for this interview, just thinking about like what's involved and what you go through, it's it's phenomenal. It's a lot. How, how, how far would you run in a game? Um, being the runners podcast is a good question. Um, <laughs> we run eight and a half. Eight and a half, eight and a half kilometers. And right. we ha- so we have got a little GPS on the back. Yeah. Um, so we're pretty specific on that. And, you know, we look at um, left leg, right leg dominance, you know, how many accelerations we're doing, decelerations, because that's all around, um, you know, have you have you prepped enough for that load during the week as well? So when we're training, we need to, we wear our GPSs so that I want to, I need to know that I'm hitting a certain number of Ks during the week a certain number of X-cells, D-cells, so then, you know, I can do that in the game mm. and I won't get injured. So it's all about injury prevention. And and so we would, yeah, so we'd run about eight and a half. If you ran more than that, you got to ask yourself, okay, was this game just one of those games where you, where you ran a lot more? Like there was a lot more tries, a lot more kicking up and down the field? Or actually, were you out of position a lot? And that's why you're having to run to catch up. Um, and the other thing is if you were under that, was it just a really slow game? You're up in the northern hemisphere, it's boggy, it's wet, there's just scrum after scrum, so you're not moving a lot? Or, again, were you not keeping up with play? So there's all these, you know, so you've got to look at those things around, you know, those kilometres that you're doing. But generally it is, yeah, it's about eight and a half, but 
you know, we're we're in control. We're the, we're the ones with the whistle, so we mm. can stop it when we get tired. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, we're not like players who have to make tackles, and you know, the the, the fitness that they have. Yeah, is, yeah, is that's crazy. crazy. But, but I mean, the, the the running's just one aspect of the game. But it's like you've got to run, and then you've you've got to think with a clear head, and you're making you know. Like it's it's easy to watch a watch a game at home and see something in slow motion and go oh how did the ref miss that that was so forward but you're seeing all this stuff happen at a high high speed and yep. you're running as well and you've got an earpiece and are people talking to you yep they are that so would annoy the fuck out of me you get, you get used to it do you um, so I mean I I see I review my game I see in slow motion all the camera angles everyone gets set high I was like oh, how did I make that cool you know you get that a lot um, so you just have to train yourself to to be better in the moment live. And I always have this thing about trust and enjoy. So, like, trust your instinct. 99% of the time, your instinct's correct when you've trained well. So, if you've done all the work leading up to the game, your instinct's often correct. Because you, you get into a game where, like, you might even see on the big screen, you know, like the Ford, Ford Pass in that Crusaders, in the Crusaders Chiefs game, you see it on the big screen afterwards. And you've got to you got to be able to see that process that after the fact, go, like, I can't do anything about it. I've missed that. I can't, but I can't let it influence anything else that happens in the game because mm. it just can snowball. Or your decisions can snowball. So, mm. yes, a lot of it's physical. A lot of it is, that, is you've got to be able to make a got to be able to make a clear decision. So a lot of that's around processes. But also, you have to have a clear mind after running eight kilometres in the game. It's the 79th minute. You've got to be able to reach that tackle, get in a position where you can make a call that could be game defining. Like you, you make the call and that's game defining. But also, not making a call is game defining as well. So you, you need to be able to have a clear head and you can't be fatigued or tired to be able to make those decisions. So mm. we do a lot of practice during the week around that, about um, decision-making under pressure, decision-making under fatigue. Um, obviously, we do a lot of clips. Over the last few years, we've actually been engaged with rugby teams. So um, I've been in with the Hurricanes for the last two years, and every other professional referee's had one team that I've been with. So I can't I can't ever do anything with that team. I can't TMO, referee, or AR with them. But what I can do is I actually go into their trainings, train with them, referee their trainings. And for me, it's deliberate practice. So I'm actually able to get there with... Um, a, a group of players and we can just go through line out to mall, line out to mall and I can do 20 line out to malls in a row it's helping them because that's what their training is and it's also helping me because otherwise the only time I get to practice this and this is crazy historically the only time that referees ever get to practice that is in the game so you know how can you it's really hard to perform yeah. like you're in a performance zone but you're also in a learning zone as well where you want to just be performing so what's what's worked really well with New Zealand rugby now is, is putting us all in those environments. We can actually you get in that learning zone, so we can perform in the weekend. But we still make mistakes, right? Oh, that's that's always going to happen. You just want to lessen your mistakes, make them less critical, and and not make the same mistake mm-hmm. again. I think that's the main thing you got you got to do when you learn and you review stuff. Yeah, when, when you do make a mistake, how do you how do you reset? Oh, maybe I heard uh, Gilbert and Oka on a podcast, or maybe it was the so. Richie McCaw movie, or the the book Legacy, which is a great book about the All Blacks. But um, he talks about players resetting by. Pulling a blade of grass out, or mm. tapping their boots, or looking at someone in the crowd. Um, as a ref, do you have the same sort of strategy? Like, if you if you make a fuck up, how do you how do you park it and move on? Yeah, so so mine is mine is sort of like a like a, a, a not like visualization, but self talk. So my dad, when he when he was referring, um, like he would always he'd always hit his hit his leg. You know, that was his, his sort of reset. And so all those other ones you talked about, Dom, are really good ones that, that people find. And for me, it, it's that, that one that I sort of meant, said before, and I've got it engraved in my whistle, and it's just trust and enjoy. So trust that in the, in the moment you've made the best decision in the moment and just enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have that, and I don't necessarily have to look at my whistle, but like I'll make a, I'll make a mistake on the field, I'll see it on the big screen, um, and I'll just go, trust and enjoy, move on. Mm-hmm. And Because in that moment as well, you can't process whether you're right or wrong. So, you, like in that moment, you might actually not realise you're wrong yet. So, I can't keep thinking about that potential error. I've got to move on to the next. I've got, I've got, 
Like, so I had an example a few years ago where I refereed Australia versus France, and I red carded Marika Corbetti in the second minute of the game. The second minute of a test match, gave a red card. Back then, red cards were still the whole game. Mm. So, so like this is this is a big moment. And you want to be able to go through a process to be able to make a decision because I don't want to shy away from big decisions. You know, that's not that's not me. But I want to make the correct decisions. I knew in that moment, and I remember. So I've got I've got this like I've got this um, I've got a lot of fail safes in my game. You know, like I always got all these safety nets that I, you know, try and plug holes. So when I when I find I made an error, I plug a hole. And from what I've learned from from this game, so I gave a red card. It was an error, but I had seventy eight minutes of the game to get through, and I couldn't think about whether it was an error or not. I knew it was a big decision. I worked out after the game that it was an error, but what I was proud about mostly is that I refereed that seventy eight minutes um, purely around. What was in front of me, and I didn't, I didn't let that potential. So what I told myself was, was trust and enjoy, and and that got me through like one decision snowballing into another, into another, into another, and and so the fail safe that I have from that now. So it used to be, so when you have a, a red and a yellow card, so referees have these little pocket pouches, <laughs> got their little cards in them. Um, so you normally have like it's one side each, so a red card and a yellow card. I've got a booklet now that you have to open. So there's four pockets. So for me to get to my red card, which is on the inside. I've got to go through a yellow card on the outside, turn it over, there's another yellow card on the outside, I've got to open it, there's another yellow card there, and then I get to my red. So if I ever have to give a red card in a game, my fail safe is that I've got to I've got to ask myself, is this really a red three times? And so that's stuff that, you know, people will never know that's what referees do, but mm-hmm. we don't just go and make a decision. Like a lot of our decisions are based on um, a history of training, learning, experiences, scars on our back, little fail safes like this. Um, and that's why people like, if we look at the top referees in the world, Wayne Barnes, Yako Piper, they they have all those experiences and they have been able to keep to the top of their game because they've learnt from from all the mistakes and the good games, of course, that they've done as well. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Do you know how many red cards you've given out in your career? Is it the sort of is it the sort of thing that because um, red cards are a big deal? Yeah, I remember. Um, like, I'm I'm not a huge sports fan. I I watched um, like the Super Rugby final and I watched the All Black games. But I remember like Sonny Bill got one a few years ago. And mm. It was like, oh, this is the first All Black red card in X Eight. amount of years. So it's a it's, when you give a red card, it's a massive stain on someone's reputation, right? It, and that's a really interesting for us as referees to yeah. to, to take take that on board as well because. When we like, okay, so how many red cards I've given? I wouldn't know. It's not a stat I like to keep. Like I don't, like, I don't. It's not, a, it's not on my wall as a trophy. It's like you know, another red you card. Have the name's tattooed on your arm. Yeah, because I don't like actually involving yeah, myself in the game like that. Like I don't think any referee does. Um, so I reckon I've probably given four or five. Um, and there has been probably a few years I went without giving one, and then 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 you give one. Um, and it feels good. So same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I like that. <laughs> then, like, you give penalty tries. I mean, like, I hardly ever give penalty tries. And it's not because there weren't ones to give in the game. Um, but you know, they just don't really come up that, that, mm. that often. Mm. But then last week in South Africa, I gave two, you know, in, in one game. And you just go through and you go, yep, this is another one. Um, I can't, I've got to be able to give it. This is the rule. This is my job is to referee this game. Um, it's another penalty try, yellow card. So, um, and you know the All Blacks, they sort of went through a spout of. I think we had one, maybe one each year. So yeah. then we had these law changes around head contact. So we, then like referees are just dishing out red cards all over the place. Um, where I think we're in a space now, where um, especially with the World Cup coming up, we're in a good space with probably the amount of sanctions that referees are going to give because it's a big. De- it is a big deal. Um, you know, it goes. It lasts the whole game. And mm. like going back to that original question. Like it, it is a big deal for for referees, but we we understand it's a big deal for players as well. Like it goes yeah, on the judiciary. Mm. Um, so if they ever came um, into trouble later on, like that red card is against their name. 
um, if players are, mul- are, are carded multiple times, you know, they, they lose contracts, you know, like mm. coaches actually can't mm. use them anymore. So we, I think we realise that, like it's quite sensitive for us as referees. So while our job is there to, to make sure that we make good judgments around the game, um, which which may mean giving these cards out, you know, we, we need to make sure that they are good judgments, you know, they're, they're common sense wow. decisions rather than just, just throwing the book and going law 12 BC, yep, you've, you've failed. Here's another card. That's so much pressure. Like you've got to you've got to make these career impact decisions decisions so quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pressure. Um, you know, it's, it's that saying, you know, pressure's a privilege, privilege and all that kind of stuff. And I, I do think that you know, like when you you run out, there's eighty thousand people in the stadium. They're watching the players. They're watching the game. You're in control of the game. And, and like like you said at the start, you know, you want to blend into the background. You mm. don't want to be noticed. But sometimes, you know, you got to control the game because because yeah. the players are always pushing the boundary, um, and you know that. In, and you know, there's a balance between the spectacle of the game and also the safety of the players. Mm. That's what we're always constantly trying to do. So you want to be able to set boundaries. And this is one of my my brand that I try and refer to is that <clears throat> I like to create an environment that showcases the talents of the players um, through you know excellent management and adjudication. And it's something that the spectators love to watch. So mm. That's sort of I always think that like when I go out, that's what I want to do. So that's about the players, it's about the game, it's about people, what people are watching. So sometimes it means you have to make big decisions. And yeah. then, then with, with the pressure of that, um, you sort of just get in the zone, like you just get in the moment. So you don't, you don't think, oh shit, this is, this is a big pressure moment. Like, okay, I need to start, I need, I need to switch on. You just, you just, get, you just like strap into the roller coaster, get into the 80 minutes, and you get out the other end. Like, it's all like often the night before a game at 9pm, so which would be after the game the next night. I'm thinking, okay, this time tomorrow night, who knows what it's going to be like? Mm. Who knows how the media is going to react? Who knows how the game went? Who knows how many cards I gave? Um, but that's kind of the the unknowns exciting. And, and and to be fair, one thing I reckon which has helped me, and I've always talked about how my medicines complemented my refereeing, is um, like while refereeing got me out of the clinics and you know, you know physically you know gets you fit, so then you're mentally engaged in clinics. Yeah, pressure, there's pressure in rugby, but there's pressure. There's more pressure in medicine. You know, there's more there's yeah, more consequences yeah. in medicine. When I'm dealing with someone's vision, when I worked in ED, when we were in the recess bay, you know, we've had to deal with I had to deal with some pretty gnarly stuff. Now that's pressure. That's that's quick decision making. That's um, you know having to have conversations with family members about you know an, an injury or um, someone that's yeah. passed away. You know yeah, those right. those types of things gives you perspective. So that when I go out into a rugby field, yes, I want to do as well as mm. I can for the game. But I think that helps me with the pressure. Mm. It helps me with those big those sort of big key moments. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I didn't think about that, but that's a good way of looking at it. You're not saving a baby's life, are you? It's just a sports game. Yeah, like yeah. and and like a sports game's entertainment. Mm. You know, it is entertaining, and and it's really important for a lot of people. So that's where I find my meaning around you know what I do. Like I'm part of the entertainment package, part of the sports package. You know, people with all the controversy that happened in the final, people loved that final. You know, they thought it was a, a great mm. game. You know, like what a battle! It was it's excellent. Like, it's the same thing with the. Um, I thought the first 20 minutes of the Springbok New Zealand game last week, I was on the sidelines, um, was one of the best 20 minutes I've seen the All Blacks play in a long time. And like, it was exciting watching that again on TV. So I, I love rugby and I love the sport and I love being involved and being engaged in it. And, you know, we get to do all these amazing things and we've got a World Cup coming up. And so that gives you, you know, enjoyment. But also, I reckon that the biggest thing, you don't get thanked a lot. And we don't, we don't ask to no. be thanked as a referee, but I remember a few months ago, I was working in a clinic and I'd seen a patient the week before. And and they came and saw they came and saw me back um, a week later. Would, would give them some drops. They'd had an infection, and they just thanked me. They're like Ben, thank you for you helping me last week. And I sort of it hit me. It hit me around mm. just being appreciated in that role because you don't get really 
you don't get appreciated. Oh, it's a thankless task. Well. It's a thankless <laughs> yeah. task, and, but that's that's the task of a referee, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, was a, it, was, it, was a, it was a good little moment. That yeah. funny. How big's the rule book, and, and what's involved in becoming like a professional world level referee? And do do you have to like memorize it? And do you, is there an exam? Yeah. Do you need to know the rules like inside and out? And so the rule book's probably about that thick, right? Um, well, for, how, for how anyone much? that's listening to this and not watching it, uh, we're, it. we're, we're talking like a, a good book length, a couple of hundred pages maybe. It's like a healthy size of a wallet. Like wow. you've got a few notes in that wallet. <laughs> but you probably only use that much, like an even okay. smaller amount. Like a third so, of it. A yeah. third of it. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of technical stuff in the game that if I, if, I, if, I, if we had a ruck, if we had a game right now, we were refereeing, you and my assistant referee, and we refereed a game to the book. We would so an average amount of penalties in the game kind of averages out to between eighteen to twenty five, but if we refereed by the book, we would blow one hundred and fifty penalties in the game. So you can imagine watching that; that'd be terrible. Oh my god, be awful! Be every 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 ten seconds, you're yeah. like, okay, your hands touch the ground, you've gone <laughs> off feet, you didn't roll away, you're offside. That's a forward pass. That's a knock on. So you know, as a referee, that's what you're trying to manage, and that's the sort of best referees in the world manage that balance of. What needs like getting what matters while maintaining flow, and um, you want to keep the flow in the game, but you don't want it to be loose, but you don't want to be so restricted that you're blowing every 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 sort of penalty. So, so what you do, so how you get involved in it, um, like I always say that it would be easier to start at test match level because the games are cleaner, teams are well coached, players are well drilled. When someone does something wrong, it sticks out. Whereas if you referee an under twelves game, like it's just bees around a honeypot, they're going nuts for this this ball. It's, it's tough to referee, so you're trying to manage that. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, you just so you just go out in the middle like a player and just learn. So you, you read the laws, you understand like you understand um, what a player needs to do at a tackle. You understand that players need to be on side in the game. You understand you know all those basics, and you just you just build it up over years. Mm. And then you get to a, you get to a level where it, where it starts happening quicker. You're like, shit, this is fast, okay? Like that tackle just happened. Wow, well, he's passed already to a wing. I need to run. So you got to start thinking of how do I get over to that position over there where I'm in a position where I've got time and space. I've got a clear view to everything, um, and I'm there early enough that I can see it unfold. I'm not coming late because if I come late, then they pass and I'm chasing the ball into the other wing. So you got you start thinking about your positioning and your running lines. So you work on that. So you go down to the park and, you know, like, and I kind of still do this now. You put cones out in, on a park and um, I look a bit stupid if you're watching me, but I run to a cone, set up my positioning, and I do my sta- staircase running, zigzag running, so that if the players go out to the right, so they're passing out to the wing, instead of me chasing the ball, what I do is I run forward to get into space, so away from the play and then across. So then by the time where I've run across, they've passed and they've run forward, they get tackled and I'm there. And so that's how you referee a game. You're always zigzagging. So you're sort of running up into the space, clear view, running across there, zigzag, staircase running, and, and instead of and, and not doing the loop. So that's that's the one thing you learn. So you go, cool, okay, I've learned how to be able to do that, so I've got time and space. But now the tackle, there's so much happening at the tackle. I've got to work out a process where what are my key things that I think I need to referee at the tackle? Um, what are the important things for the game? So that's, that's you getting that law book down to that sort of third and then how am I going to pick up on this? Because if I tried to go, and people people normally do, like when you start, you probably say there's 10 things at a tackle, you go, okay, every tackle I'm going, okay, tackler's got to roll, tackler's got to reach, ball, um, ball carrier's got to um, place the ball, people have got to enter, they've got to st- enter through the gate, they've got to be on their feet, they've got to be staying on their feet, they've got to drive through, they can't touch the ball, it's now a ruck. You know, but you can't pro- you can't do that 150 times mm-hmm. in a game no. that quick. So you've actually got to break it down even further. So... How you, I think how you get to the professional levels, and this is what I've done, I think this is why I'm successful, is I've, I've broken it so much, it's like down even further, that every tackle, 
I basically just look for one thing. So if the tackle's going forward, so if we've got like Richie McCord hitting the ball up, he carries, he hits through the D-line, the most important thing probably for that, the priority is actually getting the tackler out of the way. So every tackle, I just go, okay, tackler, release and roll, next one, tackler, release and roll. Then if, Rich, if Richie McCaw got tackled backwards and a dominant tackle um, and someone was isolated over the ball, I'd just, I'd just think about, okay, is that player held on? Mm. So I don't need to worry about the tacklers. And so I've broken the tackle part of the game down to such a small level that it's easier to be able to process. The same thing ha- happens at the scrum. So much can happen in a scrum, but basically I just look at um, have they kept their height? Do they have a good bind? Mm. Are they pushing straight? So when you break it down to those simple levels, when you're in a big game, when you're under pressure, when you're in the moment, that kind of stuff can come right. back to you rather than trying to read a whole law book. Yeah. But that takes time. Like I, I would tell someone that's the method that works for me, but there'd be many different referees out in the world that would do something similar, but they'd have their different way. But you've got to build up to get there. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, you couldn't start referring tomorrow, I'll give you that way of, of me doing it. You've actually got to learn it and develop it. And a lot of it becomes ingrained. Yes, yeah, muscle memory, sub- I guess, over yeah, many subconscious. Years. It's all muscle memory. Mm. So even people always ask, like, how do you get out of the way of, like, in, in, in your position, how do you how do you get out of the way of play? And it's subconscious now. It's muscle memory because I've, I've trained myself with the cones to always be in the gap between the second and third pillar, really, really flat. I take one step, the defence comes up, I'm out of the way. Mm. So I've, 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 I've probably, like, touch wood, only been knocked over twice in my whole career and like I'm proud of that because I work hard on that where it's actually really hard in the chaos of a game like not to get not to get hit at all <laughs> yeah. um, never a falcon I've never been falcon but I've been knocked over what's a falcon when you hit a ball in the head no, that's all embarrassing right. <laughs> whenever, <laughs> that's going to be turned into a, a gif whenever you whenever that happens whenever you get hit as a referee in a game you know because you always have to you do a scrum right and so because there's downtime the camera's always on you and you're just like you're always like angry at yourself but you're so happy you're like you've got to be like I've got to smile as well like you can't yeah, just be this yeah. angry grumpy referee on camera so they zoom in on you and you know you got to try and just he's like okay let's just set the scrum let's get out of here oh that's crack up hey, well, since, since you mentioned Richie McCaw before um when he was playing a lot of people generally from other countries or other teams playing against him called him a cheat is that just because he knew he knew the rules very well, or yeah, like he just yeah, knew the right, rules? Right. So I've watched a lot of the games that he did, and like he wasn't no, he wasn't a cheat. He just mm. he just was a great flanker. And this is what players should always do. And I always so again going back to the um, the key thing around New Zealand rugby getting referees in with the with the with the teams is that um, it, it does it frustrates me when I watch a game and I see a player in a great position and they're there, the ball's right there, and they don't know if they can go for it or not. You know, because they, you know, they don't know the rules, mm. and so that they've missed the chance to get that turnover. Where I think what players like Richie um, is really good at, um, Sia Khaleesi, Michael Hooper, like all the, all these great international players, is they know the rules. They they know how we interpret the rules as well. They know like what is a, a no, like okay, I can't enter the the side of the ruck at ninety degrees, but they probably know that you know what I can probably enter at forty five degrees and I'll get away with it. So they know those boundaries. Um, oh, that's and I, genius! And I, think that, I think that's what players do in all, in all parts of the game, and, and that's why I encourage. And I saw that with the Hurricanes this year. The more time I spent with them, the more questions I was getting from players around what I can do, what, what I can't. What do. players in particular? Um, so, like, the, like the Jacklers, you know, like um, Duplessis Karifi was. He was a guy that uh, he's such a good Jackler for the Hurricanes. And like, we worked a lot around. Okay, what can I do around the pictures that I'm seeing? What do, what picture? Because we all work on pictures of referees. What picture do I need to show the referee? Like, do I need to show them my hands above my head? Do I need to do a star mm-hmm. jump before I go on the ball? And it's like, no, you don't need to do that. You just need to get off the ball and on it. And 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 I was really proud when I saw a lot of turnovers he'd got this year in you know, you know games that the Hurricanes played. I was like, yeah, we got that awesome turnover because of of the better understanding that players. 
um, did when they when you know we had that relationship. And I think that's that's an important part of the game. We've got these stakeholders on the field of players, coaches, and referees. I think players and coaches have always worked well together for so so long. But like we've always had this bubble as referees, and and you start a season, you might have a meeting at the start of the season with players and coaches. But as, as referees, you sort of that bubble goes off, that train track goes off, and then all of a sudden we're referring a different game than what the players and the coaches are coaching. Um, what we what we've seen this year is because we're more aligned, we're working together. The game's been better. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at in terms of controversy, I actually I believe that this was probably the most uncontroversial Super. If you look at the whole season, like no one was talking about the referees apart from everyone in the final. But after, before <laughs> that, no one was talking about the referees. And I thought that was a really successful year for us because um, two parts. I think we have a really good squad of referees in New Zealand, but also Australia, like very experienced. A lot of us are going to the World Cup coming up. Um, but also I think a lot of it's down to the work that we're doing with the teams and the teams are buying into it. And um, you know, you're seeing that on the field with the, with the understanding. What happens after a game? Like is there... Um is there like some sort of investigation or an inquiry? <laughs> investigation. Or, no, you, you know what I mean. So like, so, are, I think you, a lot of people like to investigate. Are, are, <laughs> no, but are you are you sort of like how to account after, good or good or bad after a game? Is that um, you know, who who watches over you and your performance? Do you get like a report Great card? Great question. Um, old way back in the day, you, you got a report card and had like a percentage, like a pass or fail. Like it was old school, but now <laughs> nowadays, um, a lot of people ask. Where's the accountability? You know, where's the accountability for those errors that a referee made in the game? And I think sometimes it's unfair for people to say that because there is a lot of accountability. Um, I guess it's just, and this is something we need to think about. I guess it's just not public. Mm. Um, they want they want public accountability, being that players drop from a game that got, that player goes back refereeing club rugby, but that's not what happens to players. You know, they don't, they don't necessarily get dropped straight after a game if they make an error. You know, if they make multiple errors in different games, and yes, and that would happen with referees as well. And you know, there's been times like you know where I've had a low point in my career where I was like, shit, like I think I'm going to be dropped. I think I'm going to, I'm not going to get really? any more games. Yeah, yeah. Like, there was, you know, there was a there was a period. Where I just like had um, like we it was a Crusaders Waratahs game. Um, we Crusaders went through to score a try, um, and I thought one of the Crusaders just like took out Curly Beal. We award the try. Try goes through half time, go off late, and, and then Crusaders win this tight game, and when they should never, they probably should never have won that game. And then a massive error. So we actually missed that. We 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 talk about processes. We didn't have a process where um, after every try now. I get the TMO to give me an all clear so that they've gone through the footage, but also I look at the big screen and instead of drinking water and you know like having a, having time off, it's like no, no, I'm working hard to make sure this try is good. And if we'd done that, we would have seen this you know active foul play before the try was scored. So we had that massive error. So I can fix that part of my game, and I still use that in my game now. But then the next week and the week after, um, I just had errors, and they just kept following me. And I was like, man, like, what is going on? You know, like, like how am I becoming so bad at like doing like my games at the moment? Mm. And so you do reach a lower end. Uh, you you know you lose confidence. Yeah. Um, you get anxious around it, and it's a not a nice spot to be in because actually you do go game to game to game, and this is like where social media and all that kind of stuff um, comes into it. Because um, while you get better at not getting um, fixed on that and not getting, um, you, know, you don't find importance in it, but it's out there. You know, so like when you are fragile and you're at a low point, it's really easy not to. Oh, it's easy. It's easy to sort of find all that kind of stuff, and, yeah, and it right. just sort of makes you deep, go deeper mm. as a referee. It's the same. It's the same yeah, I overthink things, I guess, as well. You do, and you, yeah, you think, it's, and, and you do, and you, and you just think, like, is it just luck? Or you know, I always, I'm always like quite accountable in terms of like what I do, and I'm like, and I always say that, look, it's you had an error because it was a part of the game that you didn't have that was that was in your processes, fix your process, and you just keep going game, and so the, all those errors you pick up. So I've got this game package now, which. 
I reckon it's pretty robust. I, can, I can reckon I can handle like most things in a game, but there will still be there will still be points in a game that I haven't thought about yet or haven't hit me yet. Mm. Now I reckon the majority of my skills will be able to handle it on the on the fly, um, but you never know. Um, I did that like before a World Cup last at the last World Cup. Part of my preparation for that was going through all the controversies that had happened in a previous World Cup or line series, and working out. Okay, so this happened to this referee. This is what they got wrong. Does my processes, does my game package account for that? And if I said yes, tick. Okay, cool. Okay, I don't need to worry about that being an error. That won't be a controversy that'll happen in one of my games. But I'd find something else and be like, okay, I haven't. I've never had that in a game yet. I need to fix that. I need to make sure that I have that in my processes so that when it happens in a game, I can deal with it. And so, like that's that's part of. I mean, small parts around the preparation processes, which also leads into the accountability. So when we when we do do we do a big review after every game. Um, so I have a coach that watches my game. Um, so they'll go through every decision that I've done and they'll give me my feedback. I'll also watch my game and what I do is I code it. I code all the decisions that I made, all the non-decisions, so decisions that I should have made that I missed. What do you mean you code it? What does that mean? Uh, so I'll be on uh, Sports Code's a system where you have all the angles. So we get all the angles in a game. Um, and what I do... Um, oh, way to take the fun out of a game of rugby. Yeah, yeah I know. Well, I, I think I've ruined rugby anyway because I just watch the referee the whole time. Oh, God. Like, anyone that knows me probably just watches the referee and it just ruins oh, it. You're such a nerd. Imagine uh-huh. coming around to Dr. Benz and to watch a game. Yeah, so oh. hold on, stop that, rewind that, pause that. It is like that for me. They're like, But also they keep going, what do you think about that? And I'm like, I'm just having a beer and like my nachos. I'm enjoying this. You know? so, um, but you code, so you code, like yeah. you'll, you'll like, I don't know actually how to explain it, but you press a button and then like you code that window and that code is that 10 seconds of that clip and you'll comment on that clip. And so I'll comment all my clips around those. Yeah, How long does it take you to watch a game? It's about four or five hours. Wow. You know, like it's, it's a long time because, you, you know, you go through, there's 150 tackles, you go through every tackle. Um, and it's not necessarily, so I'll have these, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go through the errors and it's not necessarily that, okay, these I made 20, 20 penalty decisions. I'll know afterwards. 80% was I was accurate. There were 10 non-decisions that I should have made. It doesn't necessarily mean that I should have made 30 decisions mm. in the game, but are just things that you picked up. And I'll then go through and review, okay, okay, why did I make those errors? Was it a, a positioning thing? Was it a um, misunderstanding of the law that I need to get better? Um, was I blocked? Um, and, and that's part of the review to be able to get better. So then I'll create a learning cycle around what I need to do the next week before my before my next game. Um, and that learning cycle will be around, okay, look, I've decided at what I've what I found that I need to get better at, um, create a process to be able to get better at it, practice that process and then go out and deliver it in the game. And so that's how you just keep better getting better game to game to game. So mm. so then the accountability piece comes in where um, with my coach and my manager um, and, and other referees, we will send in our clips to the referee group and we always have a meeting on a Tuesday. And so anything that um, like we're all clear on, like the clips, we might have um, everyone's like, "Yep, that was an error." Like you stuff that up, or uh, we agree with your decision. Fifty-fifty. Um, the ones that we we aren't sure on, or fifty-fifty, that's when we discuss on Tuesday, and we'll go through. Okay, what are the learnings for a group here? Like for me personally, and also the group as well. So then, if if you're getting games where, and and I reckon, you could have ten errors in a game. And they might not mean anything, you know. Like referees have errors. Yeah, but you might have human. Yeah. you might have one error in a game, and it changes the game. Mm-hmm. So that there's a different level and strength of, of an error. So if you if you get multiple, we've got to accept that. Okay, you might only referee at eighty percent accuracy, and that's actually pretty good for a referee. But if that you know of those of those ten decisions that you make, if the two of them were were a little knock on that you missed that didn't lead to anything, then okay, that's fine. 
you know, like you get, okay, work on getting that knock on next time. But those two decisions where a missed neck roll before a try was scored or a missed um, shoulder charge to the head, well, they're big decisions you've missed mm-hmm. in the game now and you need to get better. And, and if those decisions continue to happen in the game, then, you know, your manager and your coach, who hopefully they'd be aligned, um, would say, look, mate, we need, to st- we need to think about, obviously support you, work out, okay, how can we help you to get better? But we can't keep allowing you to have errors in the game. Mm. And, and so that's where the accountability comes in. So while people don't necessarily see me refereeing club rugby the next weekend as an accountability piece from, you know, <laughs> back to the bottom of the game, yeah. uh, which I love refereeing club rugby, by the way, but, um, you know, it, it, we, we, we are, it, there is accountability. Yeah. And, and, and A lot of it, too. Way there, more there than is, what I think anyone would expect. I think we do need to think about making it a bit more public. Like, I would love to come out after a game, and I, and I sort of did, you know, after Super Rugby final, I was saying, mm. like, look, I, I did, I got that forward pass wrong. This is why I got the forward pass wrong. I did a, um, an interview um, with Mark Stafford, and, you know, I was sort of saying on CN's radio that, you know, I went too deep into the D-line, so my work on that week was not taking two, three steps into the defensive line when I, when I transitioned through. It's just taking that one step, and then I'd be lined for that forward pass and be able to call that forward pass. Mm. So there is there is that accountability and, and that learning that learning piece there, which which I think is you know really important for us to be able to continue to, to continue to grow. Um, and and I think people love rugby. The public love loves rugby. I, I, I feel like I believe there is a bit of a thirst to to try and like get more from referees. And I don't think it's it's I don't think necessarily they should be interviewing us straight after a game because I think it's just a bit of a witch hunt, you know. Mm. Like, like lightning strikes, you know, get the referee. Um, you know, we just want to know about all these errors. It's like we, we haven't actually done the, the six hour review yet. Yeah, we don't it's, know. It's a lynch mob at that point. But on the it? on the Monday, Tuesday, yeah, yeah I want to come out and, and I want to. You know, we we still we still talk about how the Lions series finished um, in New Zealand, um, you know, was that the right way for it to have ended by the referee? People want to know the answer. So I'd love for us to be able to come out and say, yes, that was correct because this was the law. And then people can go, cool, okay, let's debate the law, whether the law is right or wrong. Or we also want to say, look, yep, we're accountable. We got that wrong. We messed it up. This is what we're going to do to, to, to get better at it. And then people can go, okay, cool. Referees, mm-hmm. referees accountable and they've, they've said they're sorry and, you know, you can't always keep saying you're sorry, but you know, at least it's part of the game. And and I know that at this World Cup, we're looking at, um, you know, maybe well, there's a whistle watch. Nigel Owens, he's a famous uh, Welsh referee, the, with the fierce one-liners. He he is he's, he's hilarious like, he's when you best, catch him on the best one. He is the greatest guy in the world. Like, I've, I've had the privilege to work with him many times as his assistant referee, but also he's been my assistant referee when I've refereed a game. Like I remember my first Six Nations game was in Rome, Italy versus France. And there I was standing there, I had this moment where we were at a TMO looking at a big screen. And I had Nigel Owens next to me. Like, I was a kid back then, you know, like it was my first Six Nations international game at that level. So that was kind of sort of pinching myself. But um, yeah, so he's, he's sort of got, he's got a massive media presence. He's well respected, loved around the world. So I think what he's going to do is, he, and he's kind of been doing it already with his whistle watches coming out and, and, and those big decisions that everyone are talking about, saying like, this is the law, this is, this is what was decided, and this is the correct decision. So mm. um, I like how... You know the age of media and social media podcasts. You know everyone's getting out there and you know explaining more around the other side of you know this protected beast. It seems what a refereeing what a mm. referee is, but I don't think we, we, we. I don't want to be protected. You know we want to get out there. Yeah, and I think yeah, transparency is good because no one's got any. None, none of us have got any idea really, and you you have you've you've read that book. Yeah, <laughs> none none of us have read, read that book. book. <laughs> we do do law exams about it as well, by the way. Like I, I, know, that, I know that that's funny. So yeah, um, they're always a little bit hard to do too. Um, so you, you dropped the name uh, Nigel Owens just a second ago. What mm. about Wayne Barnes? If you had much, Wayne Barnes became. Uh, New Zealand public enemy number one after the World 
World Cup in 2007. Yeah, where he was he was refereeing the French All Blacks game, which we lost in emphatic fashion. Really, like they just they just everything went their way in the second half. I mean, that was, that was an awful. You look back now on reflection, it was an awful time for him. Like the backlash yeah. was. Uh, yeah, it's been I mean, what what you had, um, and we'll get to this after the Super Rugby final with the Crusaders and Chiefs is probably like a pebble in the river compared to what he had. Well, and that's the difference. That's what I that's what I realised when I went to my first World Cup is that the difference is the game's the same, yeah. the stadium's the same, but the amount of the millions of people that are watching is very different. You know, mm. so especially a quarterfinal like that. So Wayne Barnes, um, and and it was it was great. Like I got to a position when I got I was sort of doing test matches. I knew how to referee a test match well, so I actually went back and I watched that game. And and honestly, like he nailed that game from a referee, mm. referee point of view. Mm. Like you couldn't referee that game any better. I, I was like, when is this forward pass coming up? Because he's absolutely smoking this game. <laughs> and 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 I want to say it now, and I'm sure he would probably never say that. But any referee in that position, like you'd miss that forward pass because mm. you can't keep up with a French fly that runs up and then does a pass. You know, like I'd if I was refereeing that game, I'd be in the same position as he was, and I'd be I'd be criticised. The, the benefit now is that we actually get to check that stuff before. Um, after a try scored, so they actually okay. back then they couldn't use the TMO. Right. So you know his hands were tied, um, unfortunately, in that situation. But so do I know Wayne Barnes. He he's our leader. He's one of the greatest referees I think that's ever been. Him and Nigel Owens. Um, but Wayne Barnes is a great friend, and you know we we catch up a lot. He always hosts us around at his place um, when we're up in the northern hemisphere. He always gets his, he loves getting his Kiwi guys around. We always bring Bolapena Noir from New Zealand. Um, his wife cook, always cooks a lovely meal. Like his kids are there, and that's that's the thing around. Our group of referees at that level, we we travel a lot together. We're in those high intense moments together. We spend two weeks in Argentina together, in South Africa. We are on FaceTime to our family and friends together. We we see things like um, I remember, um, you know, Angus Gardner. I remember seeing like his boy catch one of his first fish um, when we were overseas mm. together. Which which is a sad part around like what we do as well. Like you miss those moments. Yeah. Um, but you know we we're so tight because of those moments as well. So um, we've got twelve referees going to the World Cup. Um, I think yeah, five assistant referees, seven seven TMOs, and like we're such a tight group. Not because we have to, because of all the you know things coming our way, but we've just spent so much time together. We understand each other. But well, we you're also like a team on to, your own, aren't yeah, you? Really? Yeah, we're a massive team on yeah. our own. Like we love to like, let a little bit of steam off, enjoy each other's company. Um, we all play golf together. Mm. We you know like to go out together, have you know great meals mm. together. And and Wayne Barnes is one of them. Like great, like such a great mm. great individual. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So have you, did, have you maybe even on, on a night out after a couple of pinos, have you had a chat to him about, like, how did he cope with the back? I, I suppose, like, in 27, it was sort of um, social media wasn't 
what it is now. Maybe it was in the early days of Facebook. I can't really remember. Bebo? I don't know. What Bebo, yeah, Bebo and MySpace. MySpace? I feel like people were less accessible than, than what they are now. It's easier to track people down. But, I mean, what sort of toll did that take on his mental health? Have you got any idea? Oh, massive, massive toll. Yeah. And, and, like, credit to him now, like, to be where he is now like, as the best referee in the world. You know, he's got through all of that. Um and you know, obviously, it just it comes down to a lot of obviously support that he has from family, mm. um, especially his wife and, and friends. Like, what a shit time! Like, terrible time. Oh, disgusting. And, and yeah, disgusting. And I think he he he, he talks about it. And, like he's so open about it now. He, it's it's quite a good story when he when he does like his his after dinner speeches. And um, I think he wore a wig for um, the rest of the tournament for the semis and the finals because he had to. <laughs> but he had to like, like he, a disguise. He had to wear a disguise because like he was he's well known. Like he's he's recognisable, especially over there. Yeah. And I think you know, like New Zealanders and a lot of other people, they you know they like it was it was really really bad afterwards. So um, like he's he's taken all of those learnings and and obviously bottled that up, learned from it, and you know has has been. I think he became the most capped test international test referee mm. if there's ever been um, at the at the start of the year. So yeah. Um, yeah, really 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 hard for him, but like he's been so open about it, shared it with us, so you know we can learn about it for us. And you know, but there's 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 a lot of examples of this. From it's it's almost like it'll happen to me if it hasn't happened to me already. But it'll happen to me again. The more the the more the, the better you become, the more high games you do, the more trust the bosses have to put you on the big games. Um, and whether you're right or wrong, whether you're right or wrong, like it'll be controversial. So there'll be there'll be one team that doesn't think you did well, one nation that doesn't think you did well, and, mm. and one thing that. One one nation that probably thought you did okay. So um, he's done that. You know, we've had um, with Bryce Lawrence. You know, he did the same thing with South Africa after his quarterfinal, where basically you know he couldn't go back to South Africa, and and it was close to sort of his career slowly sort of finished after that. And you know, he's been really open about it. But you hear about these these guys. I remember we were in Dubai at a, at a camp, and we never really sort of had everyone talk about it officially. But we need to hear that kind of stuff. Like, and I always say this: you have got to be open about anything. Communication is key, yeah. not just on the field, but off the field with experiences and, and in life. And of course, it works in rugby. And we had these individuals get up there. We had the Craig Jubeer, the Bryce Lawrences, the Wayne Barnes, Nigel Owens get up there and, and tell us about their moments, their experiences where where shit hit the fan and and it all came crashing down for them and and what they did to learn to get to get back up from mm. it because. Um, I've I've had moments like that where games have happened and you've had all the controversy. We talk about Super Rugby final. There's been games before that, and I'm going into one of the biggest World Cups soon. I've got a, I've got massive pool games, um, and if all goes well, you know you, you do some playoff games. It's lose lose for a referee, right? But I love I love that I love that challenge. But you you'll never get out smelling like roses. And if you if you think you're going to do, well, you're just you're setting yourself up to failure. So you just got to go in there, into that den, fight, do as best as you can, knowing that no one else can do as good a job as you can. And then trust and enjoy mm. whatever it is. It is. Yeah, because I'm a I'm a big believer in um, yeah learning learning from learning from failure and it making you a better person. But the Wayne Barnes thing, like in 27, he like he didn't do anything fucking wrong. He didn't do, he didn't do <laughs> you anything know. And yet he wore the this this awful um, you know backlash and uh, through no fault of his own. It's it's horrible. But anyway, that, that leads us to like the Super Rugby thing this year, which. Um, you you shared a lot of the DMs on on Instagram. Yep. Why did you decide to do that? It's a good question. I, I um, you always get DMs after a game, right? And no one ever no one ever congratulates you about a great game, Ben. You know, like you don't get those DMs. It's always about you get a handful of you know the normal stuff that you get. If you've had a really bad game. 
previously to the final, you get maybe 10 or 20. And you're like, okay, yeah, maybe maybe I did, like, you know, screw some stuff up. But then, like, it was just after that final, I knew that we'd made, it like, a few errors, right? Like, we missed a forward pass. And I still argue, like, I got it wrong, but it didn't lead to a try that everyone was talking about. You know, there was still, there was a turnover, there was a restart in play. Then we had a try after, you know? So we got it wrong. We, we got the red card wrong. Um, it should have been a red card instead of a yellow. Like, we now know that. So, you know, it went, went both ways. But apart from that, like, I, I, I followed processes around giving the yellow cards when I needed to around repeat infringements. I talk to the captains. I always go through a process, go through warnings, three penalties, give your warning. Yes, you've got time to talk to the players. And then when you give the yellow card, everyone expects it. Um, when you get a cylindric infringement at the end of the game, um, you know, Sam Kane coming in the side, you know, it's like, by then... My job is I've still got to give this yellow card. This is mm. part of the game. If I was soft here, because I've already and this is this is the this is the mountain I fought against. I was like, man, so much is going against the Chiefs here. And you know, when I when I reviewed the game, I, I actually went through the review and you know put my hands up for a few things. But I actually thought it was an okay performance. Like it wasn't it it didn't it didn't it didn't um, account for the backlash that I got. Mm. The backlash was just unprecedented. I couldn't believe it. Like my my phone was just going absolutely ballistic. <laughs> And and so that was that was the, I think the crazy thing about it, and um, I guess like it was people just loved the final. I could feel there was a buzz about it. There was New Zealand. I think all of New Zealand wanted the Chiefs to win, apart from Canterbury. You know, like so that that was part of it as well. It was, a, it was such an emotional, passionate response, and you know, it's like we're 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 charged to do these types of games. You know, and, and that's what what I loved about doing about it. And so all of this stuff came in after the game, and oh, there's some real bad stuff. You know, there was some. Oh mate, so I've got some of it. Um, some of it typed out because I, I was th- when we when we locked in this interview. I thought, oh, it might, it might be quite fun to do like a Jimmy Jimmy Fallon mean tweets thing and get some get you to read some of them out. But as I was typing them out, like some of it's just not funny. Like it's uh, yeah. like it's it's rude. It's homophobic. It's yeah. inappropriate. If uh, if anyone wrote messages like this to directed it at a prime minister, um, there'd be police investigations and they'd be tracking the person down. But it's, uh, I mean. I'll share some of them. Uh, you should have been on um, on that Titanic submarine, you asked why. That, that one hit me. <laughs> Did it? That one hit me because I couldn't believe how much social media, like the, the you know, and what, what an awful event that happened. And there was so much bad stuff about that at the same time as well. And then when that happened, like, I thought that was awful. Mm. Like, that was really bad, that one. Um, that one, terrible. I remember, I remember like, Going through, and I was like, "Oh wow!" Like I stopped on that one. I was like, "That that hurt. <laughs> that yeah. one hurt." Yeah, it's just it's it's really mean on a whole lot of different yeah. levels. Um, then, then there's ones that are just I'm sure you can shake this off. South Island ref cheat. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. normal. Um, bro, honestly, retire. Some outrageous calls from you. Are you not replying to me because you have razor's cock in your mouth? <laughs> Like, and it's, it's, it's easy to say, okay, it's keyboard warriors, but it's like there's a little profile picture next to yeah. it. So they're doing it on their own accounts. You can click through. His profile is probably something like good vibes only. Yeah, yeah like, you know, like. <laughs> love my family, love my kids. <laughs> that is the one, you yeah. know, like. The, um, the, the, like, and I, you know, I make it easier by like, I lo- and like, it's, it's really funny, you know. Um, I always think, like, my name, I've got a lot of apostrophe, one apostrophe, a lot of E's, a lot of F's, you know, it's actually quite hard to, like, my, my and this is the thing <laughs> that we'll, okay. we'll get to, yeah. is uh, my account is public, right, yeah. and, and I'll talk about that why mm. later, but, um, you know, for you to be so mad at what I did, that you've got to actually search and type my name out right, get the apostrophe right, get the O, the K, the two E's, not one F, two F's, then the E, 
And then, so you found that. Like, fine, I found Ben. Okay, good, I've got him. And then, now what? And then to like title that, I'm just like, you know what? Wow, wow that's crazy. You've got energy. You've got energy. Yeah. Well, 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 read some more, read some one more. One of my favorites that you shared, um, seriously, mate, you need some fucking glasses, you tear. And then obviously yeah, no, it's a, then, a typo. And then he goes, I read this the other night. Test. Yeah. Twat. Sheet. <laughs> so I went through these the other night and I, I remember I, I sort of didn't compute that. I didn't like register that one. But I, yeah, I realized that it's like like his, his autocorrect got, was wrong three times. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're a dead cunt. Yeah. Like, like some of these are just, I mean, and people talking about. Um, it, was the, like, it was the physical, like the, the, the difference about this stuff. Like I can, I can get about the ones around. South Island ref, mm. go back to primary school, all that kind of stuff. Like you get that normally, like you suck, like in the language, like yeah, you know, that's fine. But like there was the physical, the like people talking about King hitting you in the street like, and stuff like, like, like yeah, sl- slitting your throat. Like if I find you, you know that that was, and I was never worried for my safety, but but you just never know, right? Mm. Like even you just never know. Um, yeah, because I mean you're like you're you're a smart guy and you're um, you're a reasonable guy and you're a measured guy. Um, but, I mean, everyone has a bad day or a day where you're feeling a bit weak and a bit vulnerable. So you have a bad game. You're feeling a bit shit about yourself anyway. I don't know. And then you, you read a barrage of messages like this. Yeah. It could be detrimental to someone's mental health. Like, no, will, I, I, know, I know you can laugh it off, but there's got to become a point where it's it not It will funny. one day. It will one day. Like, um, and, and I think that uh, it's something that we need to – and like New Zealand rugby is very supportive around that kind of stuff, but I think we can do a lot more, mm. especially with the refereeing side. Because I think we, what we do at the moment is we rely on the individuals to be strong-willed and and you know like to have a um, you know to not have any mental health issues, but like that that won't happen one day. Mm. You know, there will be that someday some something like that will happen, and it's only getting worse. Like this stuff's getting mm. worse. I've seen it slowly get worse over the last few years on Twitter um, with games that I've been involved in or other games that I've seen with Wayne Barnes with with Nick Beery, You know, like all these things that are happening. And it is getting worse, and 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 I, I'm I'm worried, and I think that's part of, I mean that's part of why I wanted I wanted people to see, what it's like, and actually what is happening behind the scenes. So, you know, people see, they ask us like, do you even train for games? Like, we see you for eighty minutes. What happens after? Well, you know, it's it's a great we we it's such a great job that I had, but I wanted people to see that this is what we also put up with. This is you know, mental health is a massive thing, mm. um, not just men, but for everyone in, in New Zealand at the moment as well. So I do feel a little bit of responsibility with my, my position in New Zealand rugby, but also world rugby, to show a bit of leadership in this area. I think sometimes potentially what might stop other referees doing it is that they're worried about it may affect my appointments. Um, it may affect the next game that I get. It may affect um, I have to, if it's about a player, I might have to referee this player again. But I kind of, while I care about all that stuff and it's important that I do, I always think that the cream's going to rise to the top if I'm good enough to do a game, I'll get yeah. the game. But this sort of, outweighs that kind of stuff like um being able to so i did think about it a lot like it wasn't just a on a whim i'm just gonna like release all these things i was i was on a long flight from because the, the day after sunday i flew straight to toulouse so um i had a flight to, to dubai and i was sitting there like reviewing my game i finished my review and then i had a real think about you know because it was all happening um i had a real think about okay like how do i feel um, what I want to do about this, should I do anything? Should I just leave it? And I was like, you know what, no, I'm not going to because I think this is actually, this, a, a line has been crossed with the number but also um, what was said. And I'm going to do something about it and I'm going to pin a really well-constructed message, note. I'm going to do it on my Instagram. 
I'm going to show people what it's like. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I made a point of um, like blurring out the, the person's name, like because it was the point wasn't about naming and shaming that person, which you can't, you know, people would argue you should, yeah, be, you you, should be doing that. But yeah, I wanted no, people no, just I, to I, see. I, I, I noticed that too, and I, I respected that. It's mm. not like you were highlighting people so that people could then turn on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and like I mean, because I know that I've I sort of released a few things like that before, like on like my stories and stuff, but. I just wanted people to see that this is the stuff that referees are getting after games, and this is what we're normalising. If if I don't say anything about it, um, so yeah, so I remember I remember doing it. I had it ready. I had the post saved, and I was sitting there, and I was in I was in transit, and I had all my mates around me because we were all flying off together. And I was like, "Do I do it? Like, am I am I going to do this? Like, what 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 is going to happen?" And I had no idea what was going to happen. Mm. What what was the outcome going to be could I be cancelled you know like could this backfire so much on me that that could be me me, me, me done referring and I was like oh it, it might be like I'm taking a massive risk um, but I thought no this is this is an angle where it's not about feeling sorry for me this is about this is this is happening and we need to do something about it um, so I remember like walking I was in the line catching my flight to Toulouse and I was like, next to my mate um, and I was like Paul I'm about to drop something <laughs> <laughs> And I went, I went post, and then I got on my flight, and then had no Wi-Fi or anything. So I just oh sat there for God, eight hours, which was, which was, I don't, I think it was nighttime New Zealand time. Well, I don't know when it was, yeah. but and then when I when I landed, um, just that ping, 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 the phone just went absolutely ballistic, and and it was it was really nice. There was a lot of there was a lot of obviously people checking in. They wanted to make sure that first and foremost I was okay. And were you? You were yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, no, I was totally yep. fine. And 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 I, I liked how I felt then because I, I realised that I'd almost got into another level of being accepting of 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 where I am at in the game and confident mm-hmm. in my game and my style and my rugby because I wasn't affected at all by it um, because I was confident in okay the game that I, the game that I delivered and um, so that was actually a nice feeling to go through <clears throat> to realise you never know where you're at until you get to do a stock take and that was yeah. my stock take so people were like. From all across rugby, walks of life, um, um, politicians, um, a lot of really lovely people reached out to me, which was incredible. Mm. But the best people that reached out to me. And so it went from, like, for every one message post-game that was a nice message to, to 20 negative messages that you read out there, yeah. it flipped that. Like, I was still getting negative messages, but I was getting, like, like 30 messages to one. You know, it was just, it was incredible, the, mm. um, I guess, the support that came out. And it wasn't about getting support for me, but for referees and for the, for what we do, and for realizing, wow, like that is crazy. And the best, but the best people that got in touch with me were were young referees, and you know, it still happens now. Like, yeah, that's cool. A young referee will message me and say, "Ben, thank you, thank you for what you did, thank you for standing up for me. I was about to give up on the game. I got abused last week by parents on the sideline. I'm 15 years old. I don't want to do this anymore." And you know, but but now you've given me courage that okay, it happens to the, the best in the world, and actually, you you've taken a stand for us. Like, thank you. So, I, I, I received a lot of those types of messages, and and I thought, you know what, I, that that is why I'm happy I did it. You know, for for those young referees coming through, to show that like I, I see you guys, I'm supporting you. It happens with me, um, and I want to I want to show you that it's not right, and I'm actually doing something for you mm-hmm. guys in a position of power and. Um, the position I have in referring, so um, that was that was kind of 
I sort of worked out why I did it after I did it. It's always it's a risky follow, thing. If, if you follow your gut, generally it's um oh, it's, yeah. it's it's the right decision. But um yeah, I don't know. If, someone like me that's I enjoyed watching the game, but I've got no skin in the game either way. I didn't really care who who won or who lost. I didn't even know your name to be honest. And I, I suppose that's the same with most people with the referee, as I was saying before. It's a good it's thing sort of, you don't want that. Yeah, but um I I found it alarming. I was I was quite alarmed by the messages and just the and and just the. The, the deep nastiness of mm. some of them as well. I think there's one willing willing you to get cancer. Yeah, it's like um, and you know, so I had a few. I don't, I don't have a lot of like a lot of my Instagram stuff or my social media stuff is rugby, you know, because I want people mm. to see what we do and, and our job. There's a bit of family and, and friends, but I was really worried because like a second to last post had my sister in it, and I had to like message her and untag her in it all. And I was like, look, are you, are you, I hope you're not mm. getting anything. And, and she she received one message. From Fiji, apparently, and she said it actually wasn't that bad. But like, I can deal with it, mm. and and through time experience, I've been able to deal with it. But when like I'm worried for friends, family, partners, when it's directed at them, they haven't gone through they haven't gone through the years of it or the years of sort of slow habitualization towards it. So then you know it comes to them straight away at this level, like it can be really sort of sharp. Mm. Um, so I was really worried for like you know, sort of friends and family around that, but um, they, they, yeah. they were all fine. And yeah, and what you say you can deal with it, and, and you can, but you, you shouldn't have to though. I suppose yeah. that's the that's the point. Um, have you always been like quite resilient, or is this just is this this like a calloused skin thing that you've developed over years and I'm years sh- and years? I'm sure. I don't know. Um, I, I'm sure it's just been developed over yeah. time. Like you sort of have to. Like you get older and you're more mature now. You know, you sort of you grow up a little bit. You go through life experiences. Um, and you, you know, you realise what is important. I think my medicines helped out a lot with that. Sort of mm. through all of those experiences, like you actually really realise what you know the, imp- the important things that you should be actually spending your mental strength on. Yeah. Um, but it, but it's always hard. You know, even I find myself slipping up every now and then. Like it's hard to, you know, back in the day, you just had to like walk past the newsstand and not pick up the newspaper. Where now, um, you know, it's not as easy as saying, well, why don't you just delete all social media? Well, we we live on it now. Like that's how we. I don't like. I don't know anyone's cell phone number anymore. Like you misses them yeah, yeah. on Facebook. Oh, so that kind of feels it. like um, like victim blaming in a way, doesn't it? A, yeah, a, a little <laughs> bit. Like, I mean? it, would, it would be easy to do that, but um, I'm such an avid golfer. Like my, my yeah. golf swing would be terrible if I didn't go through like all my golf videos every day on Instagram, <laughs> you know, my reels and stuff. And like, I wouldn't be able to send all my mates all these memes yeah. that I want to send them. So it's um, it's one of those things that like, uh, you know, you, you, you take those risks and then you, the, the sort of experience that I went through. But um, the, the public, yeah, this public support was amazing. I did a few interviews afterwards, um, and this is probably almost the first one like talking in detail about it, which is pretty cool because mm. it's a few weeks after like things have settled down. Um, but it, it's really sort of changed, I guess, the way I hope people see referees in public and what we do. Um, and you know, I spent I trained with the All Blacks last week, and even seeing a lot of the the Chiefs and the Crusaders players in there, you know, it's good to see them again, and you know, they were, they were super supportive of everything as well, and realizing that um, you know we're part of the game. Um, mm. And you know we've got to, to be able to keep the game, uh, the sport that we love in New Zealand. Then you, you know you need the referees as well. Yeah, do, do you get on well with the, the players? Well, or do you need to sort of keep um, a, like a boundary where you can't be sort of mates with them? You, you know what I mean? Because well, I, th- it's, I think like does um, it blur the lines if you're too friendly with them? I'm I'm a lot older than the rugby players now. You know, you sort of you sort <laughs> of when I started, they're older than me. And you, you you come through like a, a professional rugby players. 
what is it? What is it now? Like, 20s. Probably, yeah, yeah, 20s. You know, so I'm 34. You know, I'm like granddad compared to these guys now. So you just you have a professional relationship, mm. you know, so whether you know, obviously keep that on the field before the game, after the game. If you bumped into them, like if you're at a restaurant or something, like quick you know, chat, small talk. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Or you just, you know, blow the whistle at them. And yeah, yeah, show them the card, <laughs> or you just get on with, with, with your meal and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's the same thing if you often stay in the same, in the same hotels as players. But, um, what I love about rugby is is every player is is really respectful on and off the field, and you know that's that's what's the fantastic thing around sort of being in the sport is, mm. um, you know, they're real, really interested in what you're doing um, and really interested in getting to know you. Like, as you know, if they they will spend time, and I think a lot of the All Blacks are like that, um, a lot of players around the world are like that. Every player. What, what's um? I know you said you worked with the Hurricanes this year. What, Dane Coles seems really, really pretty. He's one like he's the best guy ever. <laughs> so like we Colsey, Colsey. Um, everyone. By the way, I'm a, I'm a Hurricane. If I support any team, it's the Hurricanes. Yeah. I was living in Palmerston North when Super Rugby started, so I'm a Hurricane supporter. But I, I, I yeah, I, I just love how niggly he is. He, he, I love how niggly he is. But he's everyone goes. Ben, how do you along with Colsey? Like surely he's a pain in the ass. Like he is the best guy ever to deal with. And, is he in what way? Well, so he is. He's a competitor. And he's niggly on the field to players. Yeah, you know, he like niggled Cody Taylor like um, when they when they played the in the Crusaders game a few weeks ago. And you know, I love that. You know, he's just that that sort of dynamic nature. And you know, he's obviously an incredible player. And so I love that. So like he'll go and niggle someone and then smile at you. And like I'm like, mate, you didn't do any, you didn't do anything illegal, so I can't do anything about it. And like we've we've had run-ins before where I've had to yellow card him, and like he's pointed at my yellow card. Like, what is that for? And uh, you know, he was just saying that he wanted a little bit of fun. I was like, mate, not tonight. And we got, 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 got off the field. So he's 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 a great he's a great player. And you know, you get a lot of that. And I think we need more of that. You know, it's yeah. such a professional game. Everyone's got their. Um, you know, recovery garments on and they sort of, you know, leave the field and they go off in the bus where he, I think, you know, he, he enjoys rugby. He mm. loves it. And, um, you know, argue, you know, playing some of his best rugby right now. Any, any other good memorable back chat moments from you or the players? Like the, the Colsey one you just said, bit of fun. Uh, I, I, I try not to, like I love to enga- I, I engage with players, but I try to not, I, I can never, so when I, when I grew up refereeing, you'd always try and take bits of other referees that you watched. Um, so the positioning of like a Glenn Jackson or the, the game awareness of a Craig Joubert or the technical skills of a Bryce Lawrence, you know, you try and put them into your game. The one-liners from Nigel Owens or the being the funny guy as a referee, <laughs> I realised early on when I was young, I'm not a funny, funny guy. So just just keep that, like don't keep that, like just don't do it. Um, so leave that to, leave that to Nigel. Um, so I don't try and I don't try and do it, but it's it's hard. Like you hear a lot of stuff, and I mean I can't really pick up anything now. But guys like like Joe Marler, um, he's an English prop. It's just, just, just like I'm trying to set a scrum, crouch behind set, and he's talking about what he's having for dinner that night and the red wine that he's drinking, and I'm trying to talk and I'm trying to get through my binder set call, and I'm about to crack up, and I'm mic'd up. He's not mic'd up, so they can't hear him. Okay. Can, you know, they'd hear right, me if right. I if I stuff the scrum call up. But um, I think the game of rugby needs characters yeah. like all these players that we have, um, and I think we still do. You know, we've got excellent players, but I think you need need guys that are sort of um, you know leading the way and having fun as well. Yeah, jeez, I realise we've talked for an hour and a quarter. How are you doing for time? You've got a niece's birthday to be to. My it was my ne- happy birthday. No, it's my 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 um, nephew's birthday oh, today. Nephew. But um, no, 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 it's not. Okay, cool. Way, so we can keep you hunting. Because I, mean, I got so many um, like fan questions or listener questions yeah, okay. uh, to put to you. Okay, um, do referees have fans or groupies? Any ladies ever sliding into your DMs? <laughs> no, no. Um, well, never. No, well, you've got you, you to think. Yeah, you got to think. So there's, there's 30 players on the field, um, <laughs> plus the squad, right? So they're the big guys, the big muscles, the, the nice haircuts. 
So they'd be going through their DMs first, sliding into them. <laughs> and then and then there's probably like some good looking silver fox coaches that you know that maybe they slide into those DMs. And then there's us, the referees at the bottom. So I don't think we don't trickle down to, to, to that far, yeah, okay. unfortunately. Oh got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, like I need to need to build it up for the referees out there. <laughs> have you ever been badly by the way, what is your relationship status in case anyone's listening to this and they're like, Oh, I might send um, some nice single. single and like that I mean, because it's hard, you know, when you're when you're travelling um all the time overseas, you know, you're never really home. So uh, that's uh, that's always the niggly part. So that that's the one great thing around, I think, a lot of the, um, the referees, they've got amazing husbands, wives, um, who, you know, like uh, just incredible when yeah. know, we're away. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's a difficult role sometimes for that. But when you're home, you're home and you have a great life at home. Um, you know, you're probably catching up on all the school drop-offs and stuff like yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, there's the, there's the status. But, no, please don't slide into my DMs around that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been badly injured or accidentally tackled by a player? No. No. Um, I mean, and I've seen a lot of referees that have, but it's kind of like what does that, I, Yeah, you said before like I about the Falcon about, thing. Does this I, mean I, you're in the wrong position? or? Yeah, so I work hard on my positioning not for that to happen. There's, there's times where you're close and you sort of suck everything in and you try and get out of the way. Um, but no, touch wood so far. Mm. I've got a game next week in Scotland. Um, I have not been uh, knocked over yet, but um, I laugh every time a referee does. <laughs> uh, do, do you get nervous before a big game? All, all the time. Do you? Yep. Yeah. And, but I love that. What, what does that look like? I, I think I saw a Dan Carter clip once and he talked about vomiting before most of the All Black games. Yeah, so I don't have any, like, any physical sort of manifestations, yeah. but um, I, uh, it's, 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 all, it's all just it's the nervous excitement. So like, if, I'm, if I'm nervous for a game, it means that I'm prepared, I'm ready, I'm excited, and I care. And I know that if I've prepared really well for the game, um, then... I'm confident. So all I need to be is confident walking onto that field. And just what will we will be, if I've prepared well, no matter what happens on the field, I can, I can deal with it. So then, like, I know I'll do a lot of, like, I could talk to Gilbert and Oak, who you brought up before, yeah. around that, and I do a lot of my um, front-loading in the week around all the prep that I'm doing, physical, mental prep. So about by Friday, I'm pretty good to go. And Saturday, I don't even think about the game until I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get down to the field, and it keeps my, my mind free. Um so that's like that for yeah. So 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 for me, that's that's a, that's a big part of how um, you know I'd 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 lead into I guess I mm. guess sort of that side of it, um, which I think's which I think's important. Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny how the parallels between what you what you do and what the players do as well in terms of like the build up, the preparation, and then the the game itself, and then the you know the post mortem or post analysis. It's, it's pretty similar. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty similar. We just do it um, at a different level. Like mm. not as many players. Um, and you know the preparation is slightly different. Like we we've got a little bit more autonomy around how we do it, so we don't have to be on the bus at this time. We don't have to have training at this time. We can actually decide like we want to, we're going to do the, we've got to do the gym at some t- stage today. We'll do it now, and then we'll go and do something else after. And we'll, you know, we we'll do some do it like that. So it's really good when you get to travel and you get to sort of stay with you know um, your friends and and your other referees mm-hmm. overseas. You get to sort of sort of manage with that, which is really really good. Yeah. Can you ever hear any abuse from the stands? No, never. No, because no, like as you said, like you got someone and you got an earpiece. Yeah, right, right. So that that, sure, that, that, that is blocked. You got your assistant referee and your TMO talking into your ear the whole time, and then um, the uh, the assistant referees on the sideline, like in Christchurch, you're really close to the to the um, fans, and in Hamilton, you're really close to the fans. So you you hear it, you hear it then. Um, so you sort of hear a lot of the abuse there, but in mm. the middle, no, you no, don't, which is great. So it's like ignorance, bliss again. It's perfect. Yeah. Is match fixing a thing in rugby? No, no. You've never been like approached. No one's ever asked you. Or, no, I feel no. like that's sort of an Indian thing mainly with cricket, isn't it? I think uh, yeah, like it's it's football. I know that like mm, football, and yeah. um, I've talked to a lot of umpires 
um, like Steve, you know, New Zealand umpire around that. Um, and it definitely happens, and they've got a lot of structures in place that if something like that occurs, then they, um, you know, obviously go through the sort of anti-corruption process. But, um, I mean, rugby's big enough. Like, there's a lot mm, of money involved mm. in rugby. I'm, I'm surprised that it hasn't happened yet. Um, and, uh, look, I mean, it's got to happen at some stage, right? Mm. You know, There'll be a lot of Chiefs fans. No gold watch call- I'm wearing, yeah. so it's, it's a lot of Chiefs fans will be calling bullshit on this answer. He was definitely paid. Oh, they told me. Well, it's like I'm still waiting for that money. So that obviously wasn't like the match fisting didn't really work out that well because I haven't been paid for it yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever lost your cool with a player? Yep. Have you? Yeah, I have. And and I and I'm not proud of that. Like it's, I mean, it happened happened a few weeks ago in a, in a Highlanders game with the captain, and you know, you sort of. I sort of, you know, so I always like to engage. I'm never dismissive. I want to be being being on the field, you know, like I'm I'm this happy guy that you know I can always you can always chat with me. But the, the, there was a moment where I went in the red and I had a massive go at this captain around, sort of approaching me, and um, I thought he was out of line. But you know, when I reviewed it, I was just man, that came across so bad. Like mm. I didn't need to do that. Um, you let your emo- I let my emotions get what, a bit. What of did me. you do exactly? Oh look! Well, I didn't like it. Was just I basically just gave them a telling off, mm. you know, like a big school teacher finger in the face. <laughs> and it's so not me; it's not my style. But I, I, I realised like I was, I was annoyed about a decision that we'd made as a team ten minutes earlier. And this is the whole thing around don't let things snowball. Um, I was, I was really frustrated about that decision. I was still riffing the game. And I was getting over it in my head. But that led me to still be in the red. So then, when I got challenged and I was fragile by this by this captain, probably just doing his role. I let loose on him, eh? Yeah, um, like the compound effect. Yeah, yeah. and it did. And, and so I reviewed the game and, and I reviewed that instance and I cringed when I listened to it. Mm. So I have all the angles, I've got all the audio and, and I, I sent an email, obviously, to, to the coach about it. I was like, look, I'm not proud of that. That was that was the wrong moment to ever do that and I never want to be able to do that. And and But you've got to watch that because I've got to be able to see it to know that that's not me. I never want to be like, I don't want to do that in my game next week. I don't want to do that in the World Cup. So next time it happens, just, just calm. Take a moment. Jeez, you're hard on yourself, eh? You hold yourself to a very high standard. I think you've got you've got to yeah. you've got to because like you you are held to a high standard in a game of rugby. Mm. Like you're you're criticised live, you're criticised post game. So the only way that you can do it is if you can see yourself getting better and if you can see yourself learning and developing. If you if, if I was just plateauing and just staying at the same level the whole time, then I'd give up. I'd stop. Yeah, you know, I always with anything I'm doing, you've got to progress. You've got to be seeing. Um, you know, that you're moving forward, moving out, moving towards the light around, you know, getting better. And that's what I've always I've always done in, in my life, anything I've ever done in my career, but especially rugby. So um, in rugby, that comes out as being hard on yourself. But really it's just being critical and being honest. Because if you're not honest and you hide away from a bad decision that you make, well, you'll make it again mm. in another game. So that's why I'm always like, okay, be, be more critical than you probably need to be with yourself. And then that'll mean that you're fine-tuned for the next game, fine-tuned for the next game, and you'll go into the World Cup at the top of your game, throw any decision at me, any any test match, I'll refer it really well, and the World Cup will be over. You know, yeah. like, I can't wait. I like that. Yeah, because failure and mistakes good, but you do have to learn from them. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a, yeah, it's a never-ending cycle. Uh, do you do you apologise to a player if you get it wrong and give them a red or yellow card? Yeah, actually, you mentioned just before yeah, did, you yeah. you reached out to the coach and apologised yeah. for the. Yeah, I was really, I was really, I, I apologised um, for the Maroka Karabidi red card and talked to Dave Rennie about it. Who was the Australian coach and um, and and like what we talked about at the start of the podcast, I, I said I I admit I was wrong. Um, I realised the um, effect that this has on players and like I'm just sorry about it. And this is what I've done to to get better. 
Um, and so, and, and while like, do, do we admit things in the game? Like, probably not in the game because no. we're actually not, we're not sure. Mm. Um, so if someone comes and says, "Look, you missed that knock on there," you, you might be like, "Well, yeah, I might have." Like, I'm sorry. Well, from my point of view, this is this is what I saw. So a lot a lot of that doesn't come into after the game. But I think it's important. You know, you've got to mm. put your hand up, and um, it's amazing. I think it's quite easy to be defensive as a referee. You can be defensive because. Um, you don't want to be seen to be making errors because if you are making errors, you might not get picked for the next game. Mm. Like someone else might not um, select you, so you try and hide it behind those errors. And if you're if you're like that, then eventually you get found out. So what's the point? Yeah, I know. And also you, you're human, so I think showing some vulnerability and yeah, admitting right. you're wrong is a it's a very powerful yeah. thing. So it's fine, fine. Yeah, it's fine balance of yeah. like you can't keep admitting you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, because <laughs> then coaches are like, mate, you can't keep saying you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, any games st- that stand out because a controversial decision you made changed the outcome? Um, the fact you have to even think about that says no. Like I've made I've made controversial decisions, but I wouldn't. Well, yeah, I mean, I I, I guess I talked about that um, the Crusaders Waratahs game where mm. we missed that that um, try that, sh- that shouldn't have been a try that yeah. the Crusaders scored um, because of the, the foul play on Kutley Beal. Like, so you never know like what would have happened in the next second half, but. Mm. That was a critical error, and that led to a, a different outcome in the game. So, that was that was pretty massive and, and a huge learning for me that I um, I worked with my team about. But like no, like I reckon a lot of my other like there's always controversy. Um, I mean, who knows? Like the probably yeah, like, you, yeah you never know. Like you, you make a different decision. Um, it's uh, hypotheticals. Like water, yeah, yeah, hypotheticals. You know, there's a, a, a water a flow on effect of yeah. a different outcome would have always happened. So. Yeah. Um, I, I want the answer for that to be no. I don't think the answer is no, but I hope that the answer in the future is no. Mm. That's what I'm always trying to... Um, I like that. That's a good go. answer. Um, are there weird laws and rules that most people wouldn't know about? Actually, there, there must be. You talked before about the size of the rule book. Yeah, some random rules. like you right. can. There's a rule that if, if you're... You know, you, you score when you go and score a try, you've got to be in the end goal, right? Like you've got to hold the ball and you've got to be able to be in and not out and then be able to push the ball down. But there's one law that um, if you are standing... If you're lying on your stomach outside of the field of play, so you're out, and the ball's in and goal, you can actually score a try. So you can score a try by being out. You've got to be lying on your stomach. Yeah. Your belly button's got to be touching grass. So we've got to review that. Has, has, has that ever happened? It has. It has. It has. Like, it's like maybe only once or twice in the history. But I, I just want people to change that rule so it isn't a rule anymore. <laughs> because I, like you think of all these, these, these random, these really weird rules. Like another one is that... Like you, it's, it's all around the outlaw actually yeah. like you can be running out you can be out of the field of play but if the ball's in the field of play but it hasn't crossed the plane of the touchline you can tap it and it's still play on mm. so you can imagine you know you're, you're, so if you were watching a game of rugby and you didn't know the rules of rugby at all and you saw a guy out hit the ball in two feet out of the field of play you're like he's out Mm. And then Touchy keeps his flag down and it's play on. Like that's just another random rule. How bizarre! So there's 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 a yeah. few of them, um, and you know a lot of other rules that we sort of we don't really make them up, but you know we we, we just go through <laughs> and we just try and make a game out of it. But yeah, random stuff. That I think they should change it. But um, we we have some impact with the lawmakers. Um, we we have referees a part of those committees now, and I've been on that for a few times. Um, so I think actually the game's in a good space right now. Um, but there's there's some tweaks I think we can definitely mm. make in the future. Yeah. Do you have a favourite or lucky whistle? I do. Yeah. Do you know it's an Acme Thunderer? So these are the whistles. <laughs> this is the brand of the whistle, right? An Acme Thunderer. And um, I've got a matte black one. So it's matte black and it's got a gold silver fern on it. You get it engraved. And then I've got, like I said before, trust and enjoy. And I've got another sign. I've got a second whistle. I've got a backup whistle. 
and on it's got attitude determines altitude. That's sort of my mantras that I sort of. I sort what of is it? Attitude. Attitude determines altitude. Right. I've always had that as a kid. Um, so I always always have a spear whistle on the sideline, and because I have everyone, every referee, um, this is getting to real referee nerd stuff now, has like wears their whistle differently. Some have it on a, a wristband on a lanyard. Some have it like in their hand on a, on, a, on a lanyard. I have it on an elastic tape on my two, like what is that? Your index and your middle finger. Mm. Um, no, your ring and your middle finger. And so, so when I if I ever fall down or I put my hand on the ground, most referees' whistle will just fall off them. But my my whistle goes into the ground, so often it gets quite muddy. Or like so, when you go and blow it. So I've done that a few times where I've gone to blow, couldn't blow the whistle. <laughs> it's and then had to, but luckily, you know, I always have it on the sideline, so I get them to quickly run it on for me. But we were at a, we were at a test match in um, France last year, and Angus Gardner, who's a well-known um, on the top Aussie and international referees in the world, he sort he sort of fell over and his whistle stopped working, and he started blowing. And I was like, mate, I was on the touchline, I could hear, I was on the sideline, I could hear that it wasn't working. I'm like, mate, you're going to get another whistle. And he goes, I don't have my whistle. I don't have a spear mm. whistle. So like, you don't have a spear whistle. So I gave him my whistle. And then ran back and um, got one of the other guys to get his other his other spear one. But it was, it was one of my proudest moments is that I got to see him referee a game and like he made three or four decisions with my whistle. <laughs> I was like, mate, like how good's that? You know, that's the whistle I'm gonna be. We shouldn't be sharing that. I need to wash it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, this is post COVID though, wasn't it? But I said to him after the game, like, mate, you've refereed 30, 40 test matches. You never have a spear whistle on the sideline. He's like, no, mate. No, I don't. But now he does. He refereed mm. the All Black game last weekend, and I saw that he had the, the whistle on the sideline from yeah. that. So, so used to be do have a favourite whistle because every Acme Thunderer they sound different. <laughs> so I've just, I've just had, I've just had this whistle, and it just sounds so good. And then when I have to use my spear one, it just, you just don't get that same impact. Yeah, right. head, Look at you nerding out about you whistles. Oh, we love a whistle. We love a good. Love a good um, how many, how many tests have you done? Do you know the number? I do. I only know the number because I don't really keep stats, but I only know yeah. the number because. Um, New Zealand Rugby um, gave me a medi for it, which uh, like they give it for they sort of they tried to for for players that do a hundred games, they sort of tried to work out what the equivalent referee like what the the equivalent number for a referee is, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what this number was, but because you know players do they probably do I mean they might do nine ten test matches a year, so yeah. you can get to the hundred like within about ten a years. Decade, yeah. Where we we probably only do three or four a year if if you're lucky, right? So so the number for for us to be able to get that is 35. Um, so I know my I know that because I did my 35th. I guess I got my midi um, a few months ago. What's a midi? Middle. Um, so right. midi like a, um, a greenstone. Okay. Um, carving like a really, oh midi. Okay. Yeah, um, oh, gotcha. Awesome. Was, yeah. It was, wow. It was awesome. So that was presented at New Zealand Rugby. And everyone, everyone was like, um, "35 games, like why?" <laughs> you know, it's a random number, but that's sort of the number that because there's only ever been one other person that's done more than me, um, which is Paul Honus, which I think is he's done 43. Mm. You know, so he just shows that actually the life cycle of a referee you actually don't last that long. You, know, mm. you don't really do a lot of a lot of test matches. So um, I've done 35. I'll um, no, so 36 was last weekend in Pretoria, South Africa, Australia. 37, 38, I've got two in Scotland, 39, 40, 41 at the World Cup, and then anything that happens after that, 42, 43. So mm. I might end the year on 43, um, which would be pretty cool. And are you the only Kiwi riffing at the World Cup? No, we've got a great, we've got a great squad. So all our professional referees are going to the World Cup in some capacity. We've got Paul Williams, who's another referee going. He'll be a second World Cup as a referee. Um, Brendan Pickerel, who's going as a, a TMO, so television and match official. Mm. And he's actually going to be my... Private TMO, like we we were really really good mates, and we've come through the grades together. We all the processes and stuff, and how we read the game and how we riff the game is really really similar. So, knowing that he's going to be upstairs, and probably the most important job now in the TMO outside the referee, having my back is is really awesome. So we're going to be well aligned. 
Um, and then James Dolman's going to go to his first World Cup as an assistant referee. And, and and to be honest, like all four of us could have gone in a referee capacity. There's no there's no difference in terms of one's a referee, one's a TMO, one's an AR. Um, you know, we've we've had a good group for a few years now, and probably unfortunately created a bit of a bottleneck for anyone else coming through at the moment because yeah. we're, we're still <laughs> quite young. Um, but you know, we're all refereeing international test matches. And you go through ebbs and flows around life cycles of like what are the leading nations of referees. So, um, you know, back when Paddy O'Brien, Colin Hawke, these are um, older New Zealand referees, you know, mm. they were like the guns back in the day. And then it went through like the South Africans were really, really strong for a long time with um, Andre Watson and, um, you know, Tapa Henning and then, you know, Craig. Craig Jubier, and then um, I reckon we're, we're moving into the. Uh, uh, well, we had like the English referees; they're, they're extremely strong. And then you know, I think you know we're coming into our zone now, where the Kiwi referees are going to lead the way. And and I think you know we're we're lucky. I think the Super Rugby competition is lucky that they have you know a high you know us experienced referees as well as Australian guys doing mm. doing the comps. And I think that leads it only bodes well for um, the All Blacks because if you're getting refereed constantly to a high standard at Super Rugby level. Then hopefully that will transition easily yeah. um, into into test matches. Yeah. Oh, how good! Well, it's going to be good to see you on um, on screen, and hopefully New Zealand gets in behind you and the other referees. I mean, essentially, you're, you know, you're New Zealanders that we should be proud of. Like you're representing the country in yeah. this international tournament, and I think that's that's pretty cool. And hopefully, you guys get the sort of um, respect and acknowledgement that you do deserve. I think we do. You know, um, we definitely we feel that from from players, coaches, and and generally the wider public. You know, like yeah. um, they they do love the game. Like while we don't we, we don't need to be recognised or known. We just want to be part of the game and then sort of just like blend into the background. But it is a real honour and like a privilege for us to, we feel like we are representing New Zealand. So not many New Zealanders, like not many New Zealanders will hope, like know me outside of Super Rugby because I don't really get to referee the All Blacks. Mm-hmm. I have done the All Blacks during COVID, which was really rare, but they'll never really see me referee the All Black games. Oh, is that like a rule? They, yeah, they try and keep it neutral? You yeah, you can't okay. referee your own country. Right. Um, but in COVID, because of travel, we got to. So yeah. Um, you know, there's only about three or four referees that have ever ever done that, which um, which is pretty crazy. Wow. So but do you just, do you know do you do you have like a schedule? Do you know what games you'll be doing, or is it sort of decided during the tournament? At the World Cup, yeah, yeah, we do know. I, I think they're going to get released um, maybe maybe in a few weeks. But um, I've got yeah the host nation on one game. I got a, a mess, probably one of the biggest pool games as well, um, and then a really really big game um, at the end. You know, depending on where both teams sit. So I probably can't like say right right now what they are, but. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be pretty exciting, and and you know, too, we as I said, like we represent, we feel like we are representing New Zealand. So even though we're, we're wearing a World Rugby logo, another jersey, I think a few of us, I think um, one of the other referees, like wears his sort of silver fern skins underneath, you know, because he's oh, proud cool, of being a Kiwi, cool. you know, out there and um, mm. you know, sort of doing a thing at three in the morning in New Zealand time. But you know, we're referring to some of the biggest test mm. matches in the world overseas mm. um, as well. And have you have you enjoyed the um, the little bit of media attention you've been getting lately? I've seen you on a few I, things, including the AM show with your brother. Yeah, that was, I love that. That was a that nice was moment. Cool. I, I, I love that. Yeah, um, yeah. So my, my brother's. I've been hosting the AM show, um, and you know I've sort of followed his career um, as he's come, um, did his uh, sports and you know broadcasting um, degree overseas and in the United States, and obviously you know he was a footballer, went to the Olympics, you know, so he, he was awesome. And then you know came back to New Zealand and started working for Sky Sport. Um, News Hub, and then um, yeah, the AM show, and so he always wanted to sort of get me on, ma- mainly because I was leading into the World Cup. Then everything that happened with all the media stuff, um, they thought like this would be a great time to be able to do it. And um, yeah, I was pretty nervous going in, and um, <laughs> well, yeah, why? I just I just think, well, like I shouldn't have been, but I was just 
it was exciting. It was that nervous excitement. <laughs> yeah, right. Appearing okay. like the unknown. Good nerves. But to see how he operated in the background, I've, I've never been able to do that. I see what he's doing on TV and like super proud of what he's what he's done. And um, yeah, we've got a younger sister as well. I'm like obviously really proud. Like we're really tight as as, as siblings. I'm so proud of what, about what what both of they do, what both of them do. And um, but in the background, like seeing him do his thing, and sort of I was there. Like it was a really, I'm sure a unique opportunity to get a brother um, to do that on air. And um, yeah, he just rocked it and. Um, it was a lot of fun. We had a bit of a laugh, and so you made a, made a comment about your sister's birthday. Was um, that what it was? It, no, it was, it was yeah, it was uh, Noah's birthday because so, it was birthday. last week. Yeah. And I was like, mate, like, what do you need to get him? And yeah. we got the All Black win, so <laughs> I don't need to come. I don't need to come with any present tonight. Now, I'll yeah, be, it, was, it was cool. And I saw on Instagram your mum left a little comment. Yeah, like, proud mum. Well, she moment. called. She called into the show after I stayed to watch the just the end of it, and she called in like Michael was definitely tearing up when he was reading reading that. So like it was a, it was a cool little family yeah. moment. That'll be one thing that. You know, we'll grow up and we'll look back on and be like, like how cool how cool was that, you know, that we were in a position where we could do that. But um so I, I enjoyed that. I I don't like the media. I don't I don't I don't strive to to put myself out there mm-hmm. to be a media mogul, you know, but I I it's like the responsibility thing I feel like I need to um, out of out of anyone, I guess even in New Zealand rugby, I'm sort of the leader there and and the world and world rugby. Um, I, I do have that responsibility to try and get out there and um, if people want to hear opinions from a referee, I'll give it. Um, and I'll do it in a really calm, respected, well-structured mm. way. Um, if people want to hear answers about something, I don't mind being the one yeah. that, that gives that. Um, and also putting my hand up when I'm wrong, I think people want to be able to see that. And, and I do have, I guess, the platform to be able to do it at the moment. So I won't, I won't chase it, but when people, it's like when people ask me to do anything that's for the good of the game, yeah, I'll say yes. You yeah. Know, like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased that, I'm uh, pleased that you agreed to come here today to come on the podcast, but I'm also pleased that you um, have um, shined a light on like the abuse that referees are subjected to, because it's not acceptable, and um, we need to know what's going on, because otherwise most of us are blissfully unaware. Yeah, and, and that's, that's all I wanted to do around it, is just sort of show that, show that this is, this is mm. what's happening. Um, and a lot of people are like, I can't believe that that's what you get. Um, and, yeah, and, that's and I outrageous. Had to say them, I was like, well, we get that after every game, like, yeah. not, not to that extent, but that's exactly what happens. And and I'm worried that that this like this World Cup is going to be such a massive World Cup. It's going to be so amazing, you know. Like it's going to be the most competitive World Cup we've ever had. Um, we're at a we're at a like a point where like media is going to explode. There's Netflix TV series on everyone on everything. You know, there's all these like back, background things happening that I'm worried. Like there's going to be like there's gonna, we've got to be careful as referees. Um, that you know we look after each other, and um, you know we look after each other during the games and after the games, and just stick together because we want to make sure that you know we we are we are safe in that environment, which could yeah. just it's just got it's got like time bomb like written all over it, you know, in terms of what can happen. Yeah, is is, is the um, yeah? Do you, do you have security and stuff? Is that sort of what you mean? Like you're well, watching not, each other? So, so we don't. Yeah, and I know like ah. te- like teams do because um, we normally travel in like ones and twos. But not that, not that I've seen us need it yet. Mm. But I think it's going that way, you know. So, like, so I mean, I, they are empty threats, but they are still. Th- I mean, you could argue that any threat should be taken seriously. But all you need is just someone that is like really like drunk or, or just really feels passionate about yeah. it, and they just see you in that street. And like I haven't, I haven't heard a lot about it in referee so far. But like, let's say we referee a game at the World Cup, so we're all taking trains to all our games, you know. So we travel in a train, it's just the way that we're going to do it at the World Cup in France. Um, you do a, you do a massive game. It's controversial. You're in the train station afterwards, like with your team, because you're wearing your tracksuit. You got to wear your tracksuit, and like you, you know, the guys have been mm. pissing up at the the, the yeah. game the whole day, and then they come and hit you up about something. And 
you know, it's, it's, it's hard. Like there'll be some of us that will bite back and like we don't want to have to bite back. Like you just want to avoid all those types of situations. Mm. So um, we, don't have, we don't have security. <laughs> we have security on the games actually. Um, often when you come off a game, the security guards, like you get a real barometer of like how well you refereed. So normally you just walk off the game and people boo and cheer, it doesn't, doesn't matter, but you walk off and you walk off by yourself. But sometimes when you walk off a game that you haven't refereed well, the security guard walks to you and, escort, <laughs> and escorts you off. And I remember like refereeing a few games and thinking, seeing the security guard come to me, I'm like, oh, was it that bad? <laughs> like, they're sort of like covering you from oh, people who have been throwing Flying stuff bottles like, or yeah. whatever. So it's, it's, it's yeah. actually something I reckon, you know, you saw that, and this is part of what the post that I made um, was about the Europa Football League that was walking through the airport and got chairs thrown at him and his wife. That's happening mm. in football. You know, so we're not that far removed from yeah. from that um, in these big big high stakes games with these outcomes that we're in control of. Um, so yeah, that, it's a that whole public eye thing. Um, definitely, definitely want to try and avoid and for for those reasons. Yeah, and is the, the uh, sorry, you know, I feel like I was wrapping up, and now we're sort of getting back into it. But is, is the duty of care good? Like, are you offered? Um, like, is there a, is there a psychologist or a therapist or? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it, it is it is really good um, through New Zealand rugby. Yeah. Um, we've got we've got. Um, you know, obviously programs that work, work with us, we work quite closely with the sports psychologist mm-hmm. um, who we've got a really good relationship with. So there's that. And, and you know, family is really important too. So, yeah, yeah. you've got to have your family around you as well. So um, there's all of that. I, I, I still think, though, we can keep – like I think I mentioned this, we can get better. Like we can get the structures better yeah. in place. I feel like we, we often play catch-up. We're um, outside of – and mainly probably at World Rugby, we need to set it up so that we're ready – and prepared before it happens so that when it happens all the motions start falling mm. in place and, and 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 we pull the trigger on it so and, I, and we're probably not there right now but um, and we've had examples of that over over years and in, in big test matches where um you know it's sort of gone gone wrong um but touchwood we won't need it at this world cup but mm. we'll okay and, and um last one what will a successful world cup look like to you for me um do, do you like say New Zealand's not in the final and two other teams are? Do you, uh, do you aspire to uh, like ref a World Cup final? So like I, I, I for me that's not immeasurable for what I want to. I would say success for me. Of course, mm-hmm. like I'd love to do a World Cup final. Um, I feel like I'm in a position where I'm good enough and can do a really good job of it. Um, but I would actually love if it was if it was me or the All Blacks in the final. I want to be having a beer in the stadium with a hot dog watching the All Blacks win the final because I remember what it was like when they won the finals in either New Zealand because like, I'm a rugby sport, mm-hmm. I'm an All Black fan so I want to feel that again and I, I, that's that's more important for me. I think you know some referees probably want finals, you know, like it used to be like that and I remember feeling like that when I was way back like, doing club rugby, you know, you wanted to do that Colts final because it was really important, that club rugby final because it was really important to get up the grades to be noticed. After the last World Cup, I was really like, I didn't know how I was going to feel and I remember I refereed Japan versus Scotland, and it went really well. I refereed the game really well. It was my last game, and a weight came off my shoulders. I felt like I'm satisfied. I'm, I'm at I'm at peace with my career as a rugby referee. So it's almost like anything now is just a bonus. So success for me at this World Cup is, is go do a hell of a good job at the three games that I that I that I'm, I've got in pool and pool and the pool play. Um, when I'm an assistant referee, I've got three games. Support the guy in the middle as much as I can. Be an amazing team player. Um, and have a lot of fun outside of it, like at, during the World Cup, and then like I would love to, I would love, I would love to be able to do a playoff game, whether that's a quarter final, a semi final, or a final. Not not because I want to see my name next to that final, but I want like it's a new challenge. You know, I mm. talked about always trying to go forward. Like I've never done a playoff game in a World Cup, I've done massive World Cup games, 
but it's it's that experience. Like I, I, I hunger for the challenge of, like, am I good enough? You know, you know, like I believe I'm good enough. Let's go out there and let, like let's deliver. But I also think that, like in those games, they're the biggest games in the world. You need some of the best referees, and I think that I've worked so hard at my craft that I'm in such a good position now with the experience and all my learnings that I can really, really do a good job yeah. for that quarterfinal, for those players, for the coaches, um, for the people watching, um, for that semi-final, the same thing for the final, you know. So um, that's success for me. And, and and we will, I'll be flying back um, with my other, my other mates from the World Cup going like, shit, what a crazy time. You know, it'll be a, just a roller coaster, but I hope we can just, a bit of champagne, cheers, and go like, we did a great job. Yeah. And yeah. champagne before takeoff too because he flies business class. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that, no. Is, that is a nice little perk of, uh, of uh, World Rugby. Thank you, yeah. World Rugby, for sorting yeah. that into our contracts. A smaller, <laughs> smaller cabin so less people to abuse you. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. And like you can just put the partition screen up. Like, <laughs> I'm not talking to you. No Wi-Fi. You're done. All right. Hey, uh, Dr. Ben O'Keefe, um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Good luck at the World Cup. Um, and just know that the the abuse, the torrent of abuse you had after the Super Rugby final, that's not even 1% of the country. And 99% of us think you're doing a great job. Um, we're rooting for you, and we're just proud of you as New Zealanders. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Really, really appreciate it. It was awesome talking to you, and I think um, yeah, reinforcing that message, um, yeah, it does make a difference for, for all of us, you know, not just myself. So cheers. very much for making it all the way through this episode of the Dom Harvey podcast thanks again to Radix Nutrition for sponsoring this episode if it's protein powders smoothie recovery powders or freeze dried just add water meals that actually taste nice and give you the nutrients you need you've got to check them out radixnutrition.co.nz that's spelled R-A-D-I-X you can reach me anytime you want I love your feedback I'm on Instagram Dom Harvey NZ or you can email me anytime you want, domharveynz at gmail.com. Feedback, good or bad, ways I can improve the show, guest suggestions, sponsorship inquiries, anything else. And if you do feel so inclined, it would be awesome if you gave the podcast a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever it is you happen to be listening to this. Five stars is my favourite. If that's a bit generous, you can go a four or a three. I mean, you can even go a tour or one if you want, but that's mean. Um, but thanks so much for being here. Thank you for listening. And I do hope to see you next week for another episode of the Dom Harvey Podcast. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 